Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I'm talking with my big cousin, William Hoxie Sr. He's a loving husband and a father of four. In this episode, we talk about Antifa, the hubris of youth, living while black, the importance of education, the healing power of the Christian practice, the power of love, the future of America, the future of black America, the dangers of the hood mentality and remedies for it, the downstream effects of gangster rap, reparations, and other topics. We do have a few connectivity issues that will present themselves occasionally, but I don't think they impact our conversation too negatively. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my big cousin. What's going on, cousin? <laughs> Thank you for coming uh, to do this with me. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad to do it, man. It's a, it's a topic that's close to my heart, and uh, I've been doing a little bit of research, man, so hopefully I can uh, bring something to the table on the subject. So please, if you would, introduce yourself to the people uh, listening that are unfamiliar with you and don't know who you are. Okay. Hello, world. Uh, my name is William Hoxie Sr., um, the second oldest of seven kids. Uh, Kari is my first cousin. We grew up off and on in uh, Compton, California. We are uh, products of the offspring of Maxie uh, D. Filer, uh, the great councilman, NAACP uh, lawyer, who uh, did a lot of work for Compton and did a lot of work for civil rights. So uh, I'm just happy to be here and and uh, have a conversation with my cousin about you know things that are going on in the world. And also the father of how many? <laughs> father of uh, four, four beautiful children, three boys and one girl. I've got my hands full, but it's it's a good handful. I think that's the best handful to have, uh, in my opinion. I aspire to be a father like you, and I'm learning fatherhood from you. So know that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is, man. It has it has its challenges, but the blessings far outweigh the, the challenges, man. The rewards are are given every day, you know, just the, with the time you get with them and the moments you share and, and the love, man, that's, that's passed back and forth. So it's definitely a, a journey worth taking, man. I look, I look forward to seeing your journey begin when you have your little one. So our little ones, I'll be right there with you. So tell me, um, what do you think of the topics? Uh, and, and so the topics that I suggested were, uh, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, anti-racism as a cultural movement that's relevant uh, to black people today, uh, as well as as well as Prop 16, which we, which we recently voted on here in California, uh, and the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible as ostensible topics to get us going. Um, what did you look in? What did you look into? What do you think? Um. Well, Antifa, man, I I I had heard about Antifa, you know during the election process and and then when the uh black lives matter movement uh was really brought to the forefront you know behind george george floyd's uh murder um i i'd heard like here and there in the news about antifa but i wasn't really familiar with exactly what the organization was about or if it was an organization at all so i did a little little research and uh the research that i found you know uh 
told me that it's not necessarily a a uh, established organization. It's more of an idea, and uh, that the individuals are, don't necessarily subscribe to. They, they, I, I thought that they were like uh, first. I didn't. I wasn't sure who they were supporting. Who were they? Who they were supporting and how they were supporting. But from what I've seen and heard, uh, that they don't subscribe to any. Uh, political affiliation, whether the left or the right, and basically what they want is—I uh, don't want to say believe in anarchy, but they—they—they—they they, they, they just want liberation from uh, it seems government. Period. Uh, at least this, at least our government, from you know what they what they believe to be, I guess uh, the the country moving into a fascist uh, fascist state. Yeah, which I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's it. Keep going. Um, I don't. I don't know if I. I don't. I don't agree with their 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 violent tactics. I understand the uh, the Malcolm X uh, thought process, or as far as you know, uh, you you have to be to defend yourself, or you know, to be able to. give like you receive in a sense or you know but at the same time it doesn't seem like they have a uh doesn't seem like that their goals will, will bring about peace you know what i mean it's almost like they just want to want to uh rebel and and that's what i i don't i don't subscribe to i don't, I don't subscribe to just rebellion because you don't agree you know, I, I think you have to have some type of structure, goal in mind, and then at the same time, you have to take into consideration the people around you. You know how it's going to affect everyone. You know, and it's like they, like I, I watched the, uh, I watched a piece on Vice, and they were they were, the 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 guy the reporter was uh, he was that that's what his whole piece was about Antifa. And he was with the young man, and and you know, they were at, at a Black Lives Matter matters protest, and uh, I guess indiv- individuals that you know subscribe to the movement of Antifa start. I guess they were pushing on the fence at the federal building or something like that, and, and then they started getting uh, hit with uh, I believe tear gas or something like that. And the the reporter was asking them like. Well, the the Black Lives Matter protest was peaceful until you guys started doing this and that. And it's like, well, don't you think that you're uh, sabotaging the Black Lives Matters movement by by uh, by by creating this this uh, this situation? And he was saying like, well, they have their way of doing things, and we have a way of doing ours. I, to me, if you're going to do something, you shouldn't use somebody else's movement to capitalize off of it. You know what I mean? It's almost like hiding in a group. If, if you, if that's what you want to do, then stand alone and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. And that's, that's part of my crusade uh, these days in, t- in talking about Antifa and the way I talk about Antifa is because in my opinion, these are a group of people that are anti-capitalist it's not that they're anti-fascist. That's just their name, right? The, the name that they put forward is anti-fascist, and this is a nice name 
to bring you on board, right? It, it would be as if I created a team called Team Save the Bunnies, and then what we did behind closed doors was kill dogs. Well, you right. said you were about saving bunnies. Why are we now killing dogs? And so they claim to be anti-fascist, uh, but what they practice in my estimation is anti-capitalism they just want to burn it down they want to start the system over they want to tear down all the structures uh, that we have and that's 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 what you see in their behavior right these are the people that wear black masks uh, cover their eyes cover their faces they disguise themselves and then they throw molotov cocktails they throw fireworks they you know they're black clad they just they're black clad people that want to cause trouble um, mm -hmm. and they're hijacking the mood, the t part of the title of the movement, of our movement, of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? They say, I watched some video footage a couple weeks ago. It was after the election. Maybe it was the day after the election. I think they were in D.C. Where they're going, Black Lives Matter. And then they tear down the structure of a black guy that had put up, that was selling Trump gear the day of. So in D.C. there was a Trump protest, 100, 100 Trump supporters, 100,000 Trump supporters that walked through D.C. It was peaceful, and there were people selling Trump merch uh, as they showed at these things. And then the Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter group comes through, and they say, Black Lives Matter, and then they're tearing down this black guy's stand that he put up. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. So to me, it's obvious. That's conflict. Yeah, when they behave, that they aren't pro Supporting. black lives, yeah, they're yeah. anti-capitalism. Uh, they say, claim right, to be anti-fascist, right. but they just want to. To me, it looks like they just want to burn the whole thing down. Uh, and as you said, you know, we're we're not on that page right now. There are a lot of good things going. It's not a perfect system, uh, but I consider our grandpa and myself to be more in the line of the Martin Luther King lineage of, of yeah, legacy, which yeah. is where we want to participate more fully. Not burn the thing down. <laughs> keep right. it, keep it up, because I want to play. I want, I want to play. Right. Yeah, and, and that that's that's one of the things I've thought about too, uh, in regards to people looting, and you know, just the violence that erupts. It's like you're 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 destroying everything mm. that you wanted to have a piece of. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like you're right. What what is your what is your game? What is your what is your point? And you're right, using uh, the movement as a vehicle to, 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 to get in the car and be able to do the, the damage that you want to do because you're upset about the system, you want to destroy it. It's the wrong way to go about it. And then all it, all it does is it just gives fuel to the opposition to, 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 to look at the movement itself and condemn it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And then they use the, the, whatever means that they have at their disposal to destroy the movement itself. And, and I mean, that's, we, uh, our, our, our people, black people that over throughout the years, we've had, we had many of organizations and many of individuals, leaders, you know, uh, murdered and, and the organizations destroyed without, without dealing with, you know, that type of, uh, disruption, let alone, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's almost like it's giving, making it even easier. For that movement to be infiltrated and 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 disrupted yeah and i and think destroyed. i don't think they take seriously enough the discrepancy between the effort that it takes to build something and the effort that it takes to tear something apart anybody mm -hmm. can destroy something but it's very yeah. hard to build something so yeah. we've built a civilization 
on Judeo-Christian values and secular values. That's hard. <laughs> you can't yeah. just wake up one day and say, I'm going to build a society based on a set of Judeo-Christian values and integrate secular values and have it work for 300 million people relatively peacefully. You, you try that in your mid-20s. Uh, it's not something you get to just throw away because you disagree with it. I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know what parts they disagree with. To be absolutely honest, I mean, I guess maybe we're on the same page, me and the Antifas, about wealth disparity uh, and wealth inequality. Uh, I think it's gross, and we need to do something about it. Uh, maybe we. Maybe I would agree with them on that. Do they do do they have any uh, ideas as far as solutions of 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 re- of changing the system like do they have any ideas to, to fix the system or is it just tear it down and start from the ground up you it's, know what i mean it's only tear it down their their only solution that i've seen is oust the people that are currently in power oust all of your mayors oust all of your governors oust all of your representatives and put us in charge that seems to be their their <laughs> whole motto and then they're just no, fighting amongst themselves for who's the most powerful in the group that should take charge. Uh, that's all I can see. I haven't seen anything more meaningful. Uh, and, and, of course, it has to be said that they they do not, in any way, in my opinion, represent the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, no, I, I don't. I mean, like you said, there's, there's, I imagine there's certain aspects in it that I, I agree with. But as far as just the, the random acts and... You know the destruction and stuff like that. I, I really don't. I don't. I don't believe that. I don't. I don't think that you you'll get anywhere with that. You all. You all you'll do is draw attention to yourself, and you know you'll you'll draw you'll draw the authorities. Eventually, will, will come in. You know what I mean, and wipe everybody out. So, and and that's what's going to happen on a legal stand front because you know you're breaking the law, and eventually they'll track down. You know the individuals and and shut it down. I mean, even if it continues to happen sporadically, or whatever. Nobody's gonna take you serious. You know what I mean? So it it just doesn't work. And at the same time, too, when it's when it's all said and done, uh, what 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 is your what is your legacy? Mm. You know that's that's the biggest thing too. When you look back, like I I when I think about uh, I think about how I was when I was younger. Mm. You know, when I was hot headed and I was upset and I had all these ideas about what was right and what was wrong. And the way I went about it, you know, I, I, I acted off of my emotions and, you know, I acted out and, you know, the, the physical results, none, none of it, for one of it, for one thing, none of it uh, resolved my issues. You know, all I did was able to express how I felt about it, mm. but nothing there, there was no resolution. And then, you know, thank God, as I got older and, you know, I no longer wanted to express myself that way. I'm able to think about it, you know, and now I look back on my behavior and there's a sense of shame in some of the things that I've done. You know what I mean? Mm. Cause it was like, you know, I, I, I know that I didn't do it to be, to hurt anyone, but I know that I wasn't doing it the right way. You know? So I, what do you think? What, so looking back now, uh, without going into specifics, cause I, I wouldn't dare air my sins on the internet, but it's safe to say that I have a fair number. Uh, but looking back now, what do you think that you were getting wrong about your way of looking at the world that caused you to do that? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I think 
it was a lot of it had to do with me. I was thinking about me. What I, 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 it was I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have a inherent big, selfishness. Yeah. It was all about what I experienced, what I was going through. You know what I mean? What I had to deal with. Why, why did this happen to me? You know, I didn't, I didn't sit, I didn't look at the big picture. You know, I wasn't willing to look at the big picture. And even, even sometimes now I have to sit back and reflect you know, or, or sit back and just think and, and try to picture everything, get put, get outside of the emotions. You know, so I could see the, the big picture, the bigger picture. Mm. And I think like nowadays, a lot of people aren't, where a lot of people are moving off of emotions. You know what I mean? We're, we live in a time with such so much turmoil, it evokes emotion, you know, but with, with people having uh, uh, a, a lot of time on their hands to, to a certain extent, you know, in, instead of people thinking, people are doing. Mm. You know, what I mean, taking instead of taking that time to think, people are doing instead of thinking before doing. That's you know, that's what I see, mm. and that's what used to hurt me. I used to you know feel a certain way and then act out instead of actually thinking about why I was feeling that way. Is it wrong to feel that way? How many other people feel that way? How do other people deal with uh, situations when they feel that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's uh, to that's be able to age. How do you how do you express your strong emotions in a way that is constructive and not destructive? Exactly. Uh, that's not something that that's not something that a public school teaches, and you're only fortunate if you have adults in your life when you're a kid that show you how to do that uh, because that's not that's not intuitive i think our instinct is when we don't like something destroy it i think that's our animal instinct oh i don't like this yeah. get rid of it i do like this keep it around oh somebody's threatening this thing that i like kill them uh that's that's you know if you look at chimpanzees i think beyond the edge of their in-group that's kind of how they behave if you're someone who, you don't just roll up on a bunch of chimpanzees from outside of the group and go hey you guys want to do some capitalism right you, you don't participate they don't they don't play fair uh, right and uh, we're animals at base and i i feel like i feel like i feel like that's important to recognize that you're an animal at base because then you can go okay well what do i need to cultivate in my personality so that the animal in me doesn't manifest more than the more civilized version of myself or something like that. I agree, man. I agree. I, I think two things just uh, talk, we're just, just listening to you talk about it. Uh, two things is important, especially for me and my growth. For one, my faith, that, that laid my foundation. Mm. My faith laid my foundation to, to bring everything back down to zero to say, okay, everything that's happened has happened, but that's, that's what you did. That's not who you are, and who who you who you will become is what you do from here. Mm. And then the importance of education, because I know, I know, and I've been talking to my kids about this all the time. Uh, when I when I, when when I was in Compton, and I remember a friend of ours gave me a nickname in the neighborhood. You know, it, it, the neighbor, the name, the nickname was given to me because of my my way with words. You know, the way I articulated myself, mm. and uh, I did. I am, you know, because of 
you know, the, the home situation and, you know, what was going on in my life, I, I embraced that, you know, and I, I felt like I belonged to something. So instead of me uh, raising the bar on my education, I was content to hold on to that little accolade, that little nickname I got in the neighborhood and, you know, just ride the wave of that instead of, you know, continuing to pursue my education. I think that was one of my biggest mistakes was mm. to embrace the hood. You know what I mean? Instead of embracing what the hood saw was something exceptional in me. You know what I mean? Instead of looking at, okay, you know what? I am, I am somewhat educated in the ability and have the ability to gain a higher education and pursuing that. I said, I'm just going to ride this wave. I'm cool now. You know what I mean? I, I look for more social acceptance. And when I did that, I think I, I, I flipped the switch and I, I started moving in the wrong direction. So I can tell you, you know, what I thought was cool damn near killed me. <laughs> the definition of cool damn near took me out. Boy, yeah, I'm happy yeah. I got over being cool. Yeah, yeah, man, you you're right, cousin. You know, I talk to my kids about that too, man. Like, you know, wanting to fit in and wanting to belong. You know that that's a that's a natural uh, human desire and stuff like that. But you have to maintain who you are. You know what I mean? You you the 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 relationships you develop should be developed off of who you are, not who you want to be for them. You know what I mean? It's who you are that you don't have to, you don't, you don't want to have to fit in, you know, you should, you should fit in naturally, you know, instead of a, a piece for forcing that puzzle piece to fit in there, it doesn't look right. You know, that's not you. And that's what I always try to tell them. Don't try to be somebody else. That's not you. You know, it's a hard life to live. And like you said, cool, living up to cool, man, it, it, it can and sometimes will kill you, you know, because What's the line of where you, the of cool, the coolest, or you know, where do you lose it, or where do you gain it? You know what I mean? It's all in your mind. How far I don't you know. Are you talking about Lupe? Go ahead. I, are you talking about Lupe? I don't know that line. Where he said the cool and the coolest. Yeah. I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you draw that line? Mm, mm. You have to draw that line yourself. You know, if you can't do it, if you can do it in the situation, like when do you hit a point where you say, like, no, this isn't cool anymore? You know, I there was there was a few times where I, I did actually look at the circumstances of where I, what I was at, and I said, man, you know, what are we doing? You know what I mean? You've been doing it for so long. You think it's okay. And then after a while, you look up and you see what's going on around you. Everybody's building and growing around you, and you're still in the same spot. Yep. Yeah, yeah I got a. Uh, I mean, I was cool in 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 Davis, uh, but then my mom's moved me out to Covina, and so then the definition of cool switched from being a member of the Fruits to just smoking a bunch of weed. Uh, and so I'm yeah. actually gr very grateful for that change. As you know, I, I, if I had been a gangbanger, I probably would have been dead or in jail by 18. Um, but because I instead became a pot smoking, bicycling video game player, uh, I've lived to the day because my definition of cool changed. Yeah. I remember that time too, man. 
I was like, where in the world? Did, who were you hanging out with? How did this about happen? When I went to yeah. Covina? No, I'm talking about with the gangbangers. Oh. Man. I, remember, I remember when you came over and, yep. and uh, you, you, everything had changed. Your whole demeanor had changed, man. And that's the, that's the thing about, you know, when you join something or you know, when you can, when when a, when a person commits to something, when you commit, like you know, you're you're in it, and and, and I literally, for for me, uh, I saw a complete change in you. You like your your whole speech changed. Yep. You know your whole yep. your whole way of being changed. You know what I mean? And it wasn't you. So you know, I I I just believed that it wasn't gonna you know it wasn't gonna stick because I believed that that wasn't you, but I understood. Where you were coming from and that's the i think that's one of the issues that you know we have in this country uh i don't know if other races other individuals can understand where we're coming from i was and this is tying back into the black lives matter movement um i was me and me and uh tiffany my wife beautiful wife we were uh talking this morning and, my, and she told me about a video that was on TMZ where there was a <clears throat> Caucasian male in his truck and the police pulled him over and this guy is cursing him. He's shouting at him, telling him this and that. He has a he has a, a gun sitting uh, in plain view and they're they're basically like negotiating with this guy. Mm. They 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 open the door, they got his hand on his arm, but he's saying, he's saying I know my rights and this and that and that. But they're not doing. They have. They pulled their weapon. He's telling them. You know. He's explaining. You know. Well, I I went for my weapon because you pulled your weapon on me and this and that. Long story short, they they let go of his arm. He opened. They opened his door. He he closed his own door, and they put their gun away. They're talking him down the whole time, and then he drives off on them. Mm. There's. You know what I mean? And then flash to another video. Um, and it's a young, it's a brother in Sacramento. They showed a brother on video with his hands with uh above, with his hands laced behind his head. Mm. They showed the officer run behind him and jump kick him in the back. Mm. The other officers grab him. You know what I mean? And his his wife apparently is or his lady, whoever it is that's in the car, is filming. And she's like, "What are you doing?" Is that? And they come and they grab her and they grab the camera by the. It's like you know you see, the 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 difference. You know, I saw, and then I, they had another video in comparison where this this guy was outside of his truck, and apparently his kid was in a car, and they had a gun drawn on him. He's, he's Caucasian male, and he's like, "You're gonna shoot me in front of my kids." He's cursing at him. This, this, this. And he's just walking around, moving freely. They're not doing anything to him. You know, he's cursing, calling him everything under the sun. Nothing happening. Then you see the brother with his hands laced, and he gets kicked in the back. Yeah. You know, and, and that brought to to mind. Uh, these are, you know, these are the individual experiences, but I, that brought to mind my personal experiences that I've had being in Compton where, you know, me and my brother are driving in, this is in the 90s, driving, driving, you know, down, down the street, you're ready to hit Compton Boulevard and we, you make eye contact with the officers coming in the opposite direction. And it used to be the thing like you make eye contact with them. You, we make eye contact because like you know we have nothing to be afraid of. We're not doing anything, mm. you know. So we would make eye contact. They make eye contact. You can make you, you can tell it's a certain type of look. Sure enough, you know we're, they're going to pull us. 
And that's exactly what it happened. It'll yep. flip around, pull us over, pull us out the car, do the whole, are you from a gang, this and that, you have guns and drugs and this and that, and, you know, put us in handcuffs, throw us in the back of their car, search the car, you know, and this happens over and over again. You know, guns drawn. I remember one time they, they pulled me and Grandpa over. Really? From the law, from the law office. Yeah, yeah I was, I was driving him home. We had he had just locked up and everything, and uh, I was going to drive him home, and they pulled up on, and you know, <laughs> they gave us the third degree saying, and they realized, you know, Grandpa was in the car. They kind of changed it a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's just you know, after a while, it just. Get used to it, but that's a bad getting used to. I think it, I think that is the result of brown skin being seen as inherently threatening, and then we don't get the benefit of the doubt as quickly uh, as a as a white skin, as a pale skin, or right. a light orange skin person. Uh, I saw this color this colorblind guy. Yeah, who was completely colorblind. He only his eyes only detected grayscale, but he has an implant in his head that taps directly in. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, that taps directly into the his brain, and so that he has a it and it gives him an audio tone as to what color he's looking at. So if the camera and it's a camera that's going out the top of his head, it's implanted to the top of his head, and the camera picks up the colors, and then he hears what color he's looking at, or what color his camera is pointing at. Uh, and he said, I don't understand racism because everybody's orange. <laughs> this is his experience, is that from his camera, all the skins are just different shades of orange. Uh, I thought that was fun. But wow, but practically good. speaking, uh, in America, if you're a descendant of an African, then non-descendant of Africans uh, or even other descendants of Africans tend to assume that you will be more quick to abandon your civility or you will or you don't have as much civility in you if you're dark skinned uh, if i can be absolutely honest there was a time i was standing in la and i'm in the alley i smoke cigarettes at the time so i was standing in the alley smoking a cigarette and this brother appears at the edge of the alley it's about i don't know 11 o'clock at night uh and it's a hooded figure and so i watched the hooded figure coming my way and you know it's a hooded figure so i'm a little tense and then about 70 feet away uh, I realize it's a black guy. And once I realize it's a black guy in the hood, I adjust my keys in my pocket so that I'm holding my thickest key in the stab position in my pocket. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then he gets within 10 feet. He nods. I nod. He walks. I walk. Had that been a white person, I would not have prepared my keys to be a jabbing device. That's just the facts of it. That's yeah. just, and I'm a black person, right? So I'm not being racist when I say this. Uh, I'm what I'm saying is that we have a deep sense in our culture that black people will be more quick to violence than white people, and that white people will be more hesitant and restrained even when they're upset. Uh, and that's something that we have to break in our culture because it's just not true. Uh, outside of, you know, outside of the hood, and so I guess that's that's something that you got to understand. If you go to a violent neighborhood, the people in that neighborhood will be quick to violence, but it's not because they're black. It's because they came up in a violent neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Anybody can come up in a violent neighborhood. I'm sure there are plenty of violent white neighborhoods that I shouldn't go in and into and won't go into. Uh, yeah, violence no. and lack of civility isn't tied to your skin tone, but 
oftentimes we we feel like it is in the moment uh, because of the culture that we've inherited. True, and, and then uh, thinking about that uh, with my situation, as far as the way you know I grew up, uh, I've had that experience. You know, uh, seeing another brother, which is which is interesting, man, because you know my dad was in the you know my dad was in in the Air Force and us traveling to you know Spain, Alaska, and you know being in North Carolina, living on base in these different environments where we felt safe, you know, it was a different, it, we, we've had different experiences. And I think that was a, a, the shock that we had to deal with a lot. You know, we would, we would be in North Carolina on a base where, you know, you feel it's protected and safe and you're meeting other kids, black, white, whatever. And there's no, there's, there is no, I didn't, when I saw another brother on base in North Carolina, I didn't feel threatened you know, like, am I have to watch my back or what's going to happen, you know, or even, <clears throat> excuse me, even in middle school, uh, going to school in North Carolina, you know, we I went to middle school for a little bit in North Carolina and seeing other brothers, I didn't have that, I didn't feel threatened, mm. but then going to, to uh, Davis, mm. you know, and seeing a brother, I'm like, you know, wondering what's going to go on, yep. what's, what's about to take place, yep. and and, and and that's it's sad. It's sad that it's like that. You know what I mean? It's the the environment, the the environment has conditioned, you know, us to to be at odds with each other. Yep. You know what I mean? With yep. the, with the gangs and like you said, the violence and keys are to key. You you have to be ready. I remember, you know, I, I didn't. I, I remember too. You know, I remember being afraid a lot of the time. Uh, going to the store and stuff like once you become aware of your environment, you know, is is it that we have, is, is it the fight or flight? Or like either you have to, you know, become afraid of exterior, you develop a, a shield to where it's like, okay, now I got to get ready. You know what I mean? I got to go outside. And and, I, and and experiencing that as a youth, man, that's, that's tough. You know, and, and, it, and it just, like you said, it, it creates, difficult relationships and different difficult interactions with our own people, which it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that, man. But what do I you mean, think? Is, what do you think the, but how do we change that? Yeah, yeah. What do you think the next best steps are? Uh, small steps, large steps. What do you think black Americans should do for black America? I've been thinking and praying about that, man. And it, it kind of comes down to, to me what 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 I was saying in the beginning uh, spirituality and education man mm. I think uh our hearts have to change you know what I mean I mean you look at the the the, the violence that the youth are perpetrating on each other man and on, on anybody it's like pe- they don't care you know what I mean like you listen to the music they don't care you know the look at the change in the 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 lyrics the music now you know i mean in in our time uh rapper would tell his story and the story might get dark but there was heart in it you know what i mean he would express the pain the pain of it you know but in these 
the 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 music of these they're actually i think their pain is expressed in their their anger you know what i mean it's like there's there there's their their hearts are in a sense turned cold i don't even like, know, the, you what know the, i don't even i don't even listen to modern rap uh, much well all. i've 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 heard some of it, you know, because for one, you know, having youngsters in the house, having my sons, you know, they, they listen. And this is the thing too. They, they, I don't allow them to listen to explicit, but it doesn't have to be explicit because the, the stuff that they beep out, you know what they're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the, the wordplay still expresses the sentiment, you know, or yeah. I'm about to do this or I'm about to take this. And, and, and a, a lot of it is, uh, you know, them saying they're going to protect their neighborhood or their, you know, their family. And at all isn't, costs, it, gonna... isn't it, uh, pat, isn't it patently a lie, right? So isn't, isn't X-9 carrying guns and dealing with drug dealers simply so that he can say that he does that? It's not that he ha- has to do that for survival or that that was his lifestyle before he became famous. Isn't that what these rappers are doing these days? Aren't they buying guns legally and then trying to participate in the crime scene only so that they can say that they carry guns and participate in the crime scene. It's not like they came up that way and then became rappers or is it the reverse? I don't know. Uh, it seems you're talking about uh six, nine. Yeah. Six some nine of specifically. them, some of them. Yeah. Some six, nine. Yeah. He's, I mean, he was a manufactured gangster. You know what I mean? He, he, he pretty much, sought out a gang the, the story as i know it is he sought out a gang to to align himself with to to obtain some street cred i imagine he made some promises to him and this that the third whatever and then as his career grew you know it, it, he had to make good on those promises mm-hmm. you know what I mean? he had to walk that walk so you know he's he had to participate in some things and then also too it's one of those things i would imagine where you start smelling yourself and you feel like you actually are that person. Now that you, you know, you made this platform off of being that person and you've got a, a percentage of people around you who live that life mm-hmm. and they're vouching for you. So now you feel like you are the boss that, you know, you rap about. So he, you know, uh, you know, for what is what's in the news, he actually participated in certain things, but, that's not who he, I don't think that's that's who he is at his core. So what happened? When it all came down, when everything came down, what did he do? He turned around and he spoke on all these individuals who he pledged allegiance to in order to save himself, you know, because that's not who he is. But he's, he's an exceptional story, you know what I mean? I think in today's world, because okay. a, lot, a lot of these youngsters, man, they really... They really uh, are are living. They're 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 making a name for themselves in the rap, in the in the in the, in the, in the hip hop, in the music industry. But they have participated in this stuff in order to get to the point where you know they were able to try to transition out of it. Some of them don't even transition out of it. Some of them are still rapping about it and trying to live it. You know, you look at uh, the story of uh, King Von. The, the youngster from Chicago. You got to tell me fully. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Well, there's a young man uh, who was calling himself King Von. And uh, he's a rapper from Chicago. And he made a name for himself. Talented individual. Talented young man. And 
apparently he had some issues with another Chicago rapper. And uh, it they were at a hookah lounge in uh, Georgia. And they got into it. There was an altercation. Spilled out into the streets. And then there's, there's uh, surveillance footage, camera footage of a young man coming from behind a vehicle of uh, King Von's rival and shooting him in the head. Mm. And, you know, he shot him, killed him. But apparently the the, the young man that, he, that King Von was fighting for getting hit anymore, you know, so. What did you say? The young man that King Von was fighting what? And he shielded him after he realized he was shot. He tried to protect him. Mm. You know, that's what my son was telling me that uh, once he realized he was hit, he tried to protect him because uh, in the firing, off-duty cops started firing in the direction of the people who were firing. Mm. So other people got shot. There was a couple people that died that night. And uh, that's that's pretty much what transpired, man. The young man lost his life. Was, you know, but he was, you know, he, he, he was part of that street culture. You know he, <clears throat> you know the they they they're they're not just saying it. They it's like they're living it because I mean, from my understanding in Chicago, you can't really do that anyways. You know that's not gonna fly. You, if you're saying this and saying that, there's somebody that's gonna come find out. You know whether you actually live in that, and it's almost like a king of the hill mentality. You know what I mean? It's, it's I don't know. It's if you've never heard of... it never ends. It's ongoing, man. I've I've seen. I don't know if you've heard of Coleman Hughes, uh, but he was a thinker. He's a public thinker who introduced me to the uh, idea that actually small tribal war is our natural state. Uh, Young men killing each other over whatever their local grievances are is the natural state of our species. And so what has happened is we have created this nation where... We have 320 million citizens, and the federal and the the governmental uh, police forces have a monopoly, and the state police forces have a monopoly on violence. And this is the unusual situation. It's an unusual situation in which you have young men being neighbors with other young men that don't belong to the same tribe from their own self, uh, from their own first-person perspectives, but they don't kill each other because the state has a monopoly on that violence. And if they have a grievance with each other, they then appeal to the state. We say, hey, he just he just took a dump on my backyard and he can't do that. And rather than fight him, I'm telling you, officer, right? And so that's that's the unnatural state. And so it's on us to encourage more of that unnatural state, I feel, uh, in our neighborhoods. Uh, I would like to see more policing, more effective policing, smarter policing, and better policing, not less policing, and not defund the police, not by a long shot. Well, well I, I agree, but I also agree, like, the conditions for the people that live there have to change, though. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like the opportunities for the people that live there have to change. Mm. You know, you you look at these these kids, man, and they're talented. So you're you're thinking, like, okay... Well, the ones that 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 are able to uh, pursue music and 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 benefit from it and and you know move out of that situation, it's a blessing. But think about the ones that are there and that they succumb 
to the violence that takes place, they have uh, promised just as much as those that made it, but their promise was never fulfilled because they, you know their lives were taken. So, and then the ones that that take their lives, what made this person choose to pick up a gun and you know getting to the the core reason of it? Why, why do these kids choose to hang out on the block with a pistol? Yep. You know, waiting to shoot at as a youth. Nobody, I would imagine. I just got to believe in, in general. Nothing. What child wants to grow up shooting and killing someone else? You know, you shouldn't kill another child just naturally. I don't think that's our natural way of doing things. I think you know it is. I, mean? I think it is. I think what's because I think what's natural is is for me as a young male, right? I recognize when I was you know, 85 pounds and four foot five and my voice was squeaky, right? When I was that male, I recognized that I needed to develop and I needed to develop in a way that would allow me to compete with the other males that I see as relevant, right? That's a deep-seated instinct. And the question is, which males do I think at that stage of my life are the relevant males? And what our culture fails to do is our culture fails to make the doctors, engineers, lawyers, professionals, fathers, uh, blue-collar fathers, white-collar fathers, practicing Christians, law-abiding citizens. Our culture fails to make those males the relevant males more than the gangster, rapper, thuggery, shooting in the air, throwing money around, got all the girls. Those, those in the minds of the young men become the most relevant examples and they follow them i was following them uh, and it wasn't for lack of examples <laughs> right yeah. you know you know okay you know grandpa you know where we came up it wasn't for lack of good examples uh, but i still I, chose that path right i get the science behind it and i i get the you know when you look at the statistics and the way things are set up but when i speak of nature mm. i'm talking about the nature of a person mm. you know what i mean like naturally a kid doesn't just say i'm going to kill you you know, because you come from this block. That's nurtured. Something happened. You know, or something mm -hmm. is happening. There are conditions that, you know, cause people to start thinking a certain type of way. Things happen. You know what I mean? And it's like... <clears throat> You're talking about the, the poisonous components of the culture that would have us eagerly kill each other the way it does. True. And I'm also talking about the... Uh, I don't know, man. It just seems like the neglect. Mm. It seems like neglect, man, because this is going on for so long. And, it, uh, you know, I've seen and read different things about, you know, and a lot of the a lot of the attempts that I've seen to, to curb the violence is coming from the individuals in the community who used to participate in it. Mm. You know, they they they've since you know renounced their their views and their ways and you know now they're trying attempting to to rebuild mm -hmm. some of the things that they mm -hmm. you know helped destroy some of the most effective uh efforts have been made from that direction yeah e exactly absolutely and, and you know what the <clears throat> one of the things that i always continue to hear it and, and no matter what i've seen and what i've read is lack of opportunities mm -hmm. the lack of opportunities care care it always comes down to Heart, you know what I mean. It comes it, well, like I. Like, that's why I think, like I said, uh, as far as spirituality and education, mm. you know what I mean. Mm. Like people, kids, a lot of kids don't feel like anybody cares about them. 
you know, and then also too, I mean, education wise, I, I don't feel like what's the point, mm. you know, the schools are, the schools are underfunded, you know, and it's, and, and they, they spend more money on the, the, the metal detectors and the security, you know, than, than the books and the materials, you know what I mean? So I don't know what kind of, what kind of message, what, what kind of messages are we sending to the kid? Are you telling them you matter? You know, you find out, you know, these kids in other schools where they are well-funded, they're, they're working with uh, Apple, you know, iPads and this and that, and you still got, you still got a textbook. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it makes you feel, some, it, it makes you wonder about how valuable you are. Mm. These kids don't feel like they matter. No, I think, you I think you're, I think that's so central, uh, so important and so central to the cause of Black Lives Matter is that when you look at these, any, when you look at any predominantly white public school, uh, the resources and the attention that those children get is an order of magnitude greater than when you look at predominantly black schools, uh, predominantly black public schools, uh, yeah. or it's. Yeah, so I guess I shouldn't compare public schools to private schools. Are there any predominantly black private schools? Uh, I've heard of a few. I probably need to look into those more. Uh, but aside from that, I think the difference for today, one thing we, I think we need to stop leaning on public schools as much as we do. I'm, I've com I'm completely out of the public school camp. I went to public school. It almost killed me. Uh, I don't know yeah. that that's going to be the best thing for my kids. Um, of course, uh, my fiance insists that we may have to make sure that the kids are socialized uh, and that doesn't go on deaf ears. I know that that's important, but I feel like what's key to education these days. So this is new for us and new for new for our offspring too, all new for them, is that if you spend eight hours, six hours inside of a public school building listening to some 27 year old who has a ba in education is going to tell you about the times tables and you're going to spend half the time looking out the window a quarter of the time sending messages to some girl you like and then a quarter of the time writing stuff on paper to make her think you're paying attention uh you could spend that eight hours at home actually editing video that you're going to upload to youtube or actually building some little thing out of blocks that you're going to show your parents and your friends because it's awesome and cool that's more rewarding uh, education, uh, in my current opinion, than what we force kids to do at public school. And I think the age of information is giving us an, op an opportunity to leverage more of our kids' times, of our kids' time to activities that they show actual interest in and, and what, what gets them excited about uh, being alive and learning and problem solving and things like that. But you've got kids on the ground. What do you, what do you think is going well, on? Yeah, yeah, man, I'm glad you asked me that because I was, I was just thinking about that when you were talking. The difference that I've seen is structure. Hmm. It's, it's harder to, to, to make sure to, to, to maintain structure at home. You know, it's, you really have to, uh, they really have to have a good checks and balances system. You know what I mean? You have to really, be on your watch, watch. Make sure that your kids are doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. And so, in a sense, you you become the teacher for however many kids you have. And then, if you have, depending on what grade level they're at and what level of uh, independence and maturity they have, you know, you can let them go and, and uh, do whatever their lessons are for the day and just kind of look over and oversee to a certain extent that everything is being done. 
but I agree with what you're saying in regards to uh, them putting more effort in and probably gaining more out of something that they're actually interested in. One of the things, though, that I do, uh, one of the re- reasons why I do subscribe to a public education is because I think it, it's kind of more well-rounded. And I think, like, what, 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 I've, been, what I've been trying to tell uh, Will, my oldest, is this stuff may not be entertaining to you. You might not enjoy learning it, but what it does is it it's it, these are building blocks. Once your the, the your ability to learn it basically sets you up for the things that you want to learn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, have, you being able to focus and learn on something, learn something that you don't want to learn, makes it easier for you to learn something that you do want to learn. Mm, that's true. That's absolutely true. And at the same time. The education, the purpose of education is, you know, because I used to think like, man, I'm not going to use any of this. And, you know, the majority of it, maybe never have used it. But it it enabled me, the, the, the higher the education enabled, would, would enable me to be able to think on a higher level. And that's why, you know, provided that you do have, you know, a, a, a good public education structure, that the kids are being challenged and they're being supported at the same time. I think, I think it works, you know, but there's a lot of different uh, components that have to work together in order for that to happen. And then a, a big part of it is what goes on at home. You know what I mean? The support system at home. I would say, uh, I dare say almost 50%, you know, half and half because uh, no matter what you got going on, you can, a student could be be excellent at school, on point, focused. But if you come home to disarray, and and you know you're you're constantly concerned about you know what you're going to eat or what's going to happen or this and that and that, that eventually spills into your education. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's it's hard for you to concentrate and focus. Like I can say myself personally, man, like. With, with the stuff that was going on at home, it, it got to a point where, you know, I was at school thinking about at home, you know what I mean? And, and, and school really didn't become, school started to lose its value to me because I felt like this isn't helping what I got to deal with when I get home. You know what I mean? It's not helping my life. This is really, it's just taking me, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm spending my time here, but I didn't have the maturity. You know, and I didn't. I don't. I don't know if I was willing to listen to anybody. I don't. I don't recall. I've had. You know, we had conversations. You know, Grandpa used to always talk to us. Uncle K would talk to us and stuff like that. But you know, I didn't have anyone there consistently. Mm. That's why it's important to have your parents. You know, for the, for the parents to really push and promote. You know, the education and and to even if it's even if it's hard for them financially and stuff like that to provide a lot of things you can still promote education and you can still put your best foot forward and your kids will see that the love is there mm-hmm. if the love is there then they'll overlook you know what i mean the, the, what they don't have the desire to have those things is there naturally kid wants to have lots of things but if you have you give them the love they can live off of that mm-hmm. you know what i mean they see you they see you fighting they see you even you with your issues they see you fighting, you know what I mean? So they say, yeah, okay, your dad has problems, 
but dad is is dealing with those problems and he's trying to overcome those problems and he's still trying to take care of me they see that you know what i mean as opposed to you uh just just pushing them to the side and just doing whatever it is you're doing and saying well i got issues and this is how they see that too well i can tell you i can tell you firsthand that having an absentee father is one of my is arguably my deepest scar uh so there you know there was a time when i was i don't know six seven that i learned that my uh dad i actually saw a picture of my dad's sister and hit and her two kids but i didn't understand what i was looking at i thought i was looking at my dad's other family in texas Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i resolved at six or seven that oh my dad didn't think that i was worth raising and so he just spent his time on his other family uh, wow, and that's okay. that's the scar that I carry to the day <laughs> that yeah. has defined my my personality for a long, long time. And it's a weight. It's a huge weight. Uh, and it would be would have been much better for my development had I been able to have the springboard that comes with a father who's present, flawed and present than the weight of an absent father. Uh, that's that's more. And that's probably one of the one of the deepest scars in our community at large is the number of absentee yep. fathers uh, yep. and like you said Absolutely just right. being present being loving that's one of that's arguably the best thing you can do for your kids uh, and then they'll be able to overcome so many more hurdles simply because you were there yep yep and and that's that actually uh kind of adds to what helped me overcome uh the absence you know, or even when my father was present, he wasn't present and mm. stuff like that. So, the scars that I have from that, that he- the my healing has has come from be there. You know what I mean? For the, for the kids that their father will never be there. Mm. Where do they get that love from? You know, if their mom, their mom, well, for the ones that don't get the love, who, where, where can they find that love outside of running to the streets and stuff like that? And that's where you know I developed. Where, where my, my relationship with God came into play, hmm. you know, and everybody doesn't believe in God. Everybody has their, their own spiritual beliefs. But for me, my healing came from my belief in God, you know what I mean? And and, and my relationship and, and becoming a, a Christian for when, it, when I accepted Christ. That's, that's where the healing really began when I accepted Christ. And I had a personal experience where you know, when I accepted Christ, uh, I literally it was it was a, a experience where I felt like the weight that I had on me was released. You know what I mean? And 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 my life started taking a different turn and stuff like that. And it's it's been a it's been a, a long ride because I've since I had since uh, kind of fell back what they call backslide. I went back into you know the world and. You know, I had to I had to suffer some more things. I had to go through a lot more uh, obstacles, which I could have avoided. But, you know, I still it was a part of my journey. And uh, but getting to the healing part, I believe it was my my relationship with my father where I felt loved even when I didn't get the love from him. Hmm. I felt I believe I I know God loves me Hmm. because when I, I look I look back. And I look back at the, the you know the different things that transpired. I realized you know how he kept me in certain situations. 
You know what I mean? When there was things that I was right and I was wrong in, but nonetheless, I I was still kept. You know what I mean? And 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 then also too, when I felt like I had no value, because you know my understanding is you know we as human beings we love we we love to a point. You know what I mean? The the idea of unconditional love is powerful, but practice. It's very hard for everyone to practice. You know, I love you until, also, you know what I mean? Also, there's a gap between loving someone and them feeling like they're loved by you, mm. right? So there's, a, there's mm. a difference between you putting out love to someone and them receiving that love, even most of it, right? It's, yeah. there's, there's a gap there. Uh, you can put it out all day, but if no one's point. feeling it, then That's a good point. what good is it doing? That's a good point. That's a very good point, because that speaks to uh, an individual who uh, there might be people around him trying to show him that they love him, but he doesn't feel that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's a it's an inside job. So you think about these uh, individuals, these youth who no matter people are reaching out to them, uh, trying to show them that they love them in their own way, but they can't feel that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's an internal thing, man. When you when you when 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 you feel loved on the inside, it's kind of hard to to hurt somebody when you feel loved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, and it's, it's just like person to person. Uh, I think it's important for. There's a book called I've never read the book, but I've only heard of it. The seven types of love, or four types of love, or something like this, where different people, where people talk about how they receive. This is about receiving love and feeling loved. Uh, and it's different for people. For me, it's uh, time. This is just for me personally. If someone is willing to spend time with me and, you know, kind of be next to me and then we just talk, really, uh, like we're doing now. This is how I feel love. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is it. Yeah. Just sit with me, talk with me, love received. Uh, because yeah. for me, some for me, the opposite of that is someone who says, oh, I don't have time for you. Well, for me, that means you don't love me. You can't love me. Right. If you don't have time for me, you, it's not possible for you to love me if you don't yeah. make time for me. That was a that was a big one for uh, us, me and my brothers, my sister, you know, growing up. That was kind of like the, st- the story with my dad. Uh, I think his his. Yeah, you're right. I think he had a different definition of love. His definition of love was discipline, you know, and and providing you know what I mean? I, I can even I, yeah. mention it now since we're on it because I Googled it. Five different ways of receiving love. Um, five different ways. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And then for each person, it's going to be not just one of those, but it's probably going to be a mix of those. But mm-hmm. then you have to know yourself which are more most important to you and then be able to express them to the people that claim to love you that they need to do or not that they need to because uh, you don't give people orders. But you say, hey, can you do more of this thing? Right. Can you do more acts of service for me? Because that's how I'm going to feel your love, because that's what's mm-hmm. meaningful to me. I get it. Yeah. Communication. That's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. We, uh, I think that was a part of, you know, the, the disconnect with our family, you know, with, with me and my siblings, my dad was, we weren't able to communicate. You know, there's very few times where he asked us, we were allowed to speak 
freely. You know what I mean? Most of the time, we just stand at attention and take whatever you about to get. So, <clears throat> but I, I think my dad might have been overwhelmed with having seven kids, and you know, he didn't really have it. The childhood that that uh, he believed he should have, he didn't really have. So I think he was trying to live a second childhood with seven kids. Mm. You know what I mean? And you know, the challenges of providing for seven kids might have overwhelmed him, and also his desire to do for him, you know, might have overtaken his desire to do for the family. And you know, that's where the disconnect came. But I don't doubt my dad loved us. You know, he just didn't know how to love us. Mm. You know what I mean, and it like you said that there was that there was that disconnect. That's a big thing, man. I'm glad you made that point. That's a that's a valuable point. I I didn't even really think about that too. You know, you can love someone, but the person might not feel the love that you have for them. So that's a big thing, man. And it, you know, it's internal. That that you know, you could be in a room. There were times where I would be in a room with you know a bunch of people i knew and felt alone and i'm sure you felt like that i imagine everybody sometime or another you know feels that way and and it's that's why that you know you got those internal issues going on it's important to be able to communicate and uh have an have have some have someone an outlet to work with or through but when you don't feel like you have that like for me uh, it got to a point where I, I kind of everything became internal, so I was having an internal struggle. So for me, my relationship with God, uh, He knows me, so He knew how to get to me. He knows how to get to me. He knows how to talk to me. He know I can I can cry to Him. You know, for a long time I didn't. I, I stopped crying. You know, I got to the point where I wanted to cry and I couldn't cry, and. uh now I can, you know, it, you can't talk to, sometimes I feel like I can't talk to everybody about everything, but I can talk to him about everything. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And because certain things you feel like, oh, they're so small or they might, the person, people might not get it because it's your own personal quirk. You know what I mean? Or you're in your own head. So it's like, ah, how can I, if I bring this to this person, it might make a situation worse. It might look at me like mm. I'm crazy. Mm. Which is, but I can, which is very often a reasonable concern and, and accurate. Uh, it's very often that's a reasonable and accurate fear. Yeah, so being able to talk to God about any and everything, I can pour it out. And I can say personally, when I'm done pouring it out and I'm done letting it all out, you know, for one, it's, it's, it's out there. I no longer feel frustrated and bound by it because I've released it. And it's like I have a reset. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think for our youth and I think for our people, we need resets. I mean, it, with with the way this way the way things have been set up and uh, designed, it's it's ongoing. Things are changing, and mm. things are getting better in some aspects and worse in others. But to me, what the difference? What what makes the difference is who you are in them. You know what I mean? And with like we've talked about uh the age of information where we have so much information at our fingertips man we are able to educate ourselves if we are dedicated mm-hmm. you know what i mean so now we can say there's there's still there's still uh racism and discrimination that exists and stuff like that 
but we are no longer limited by that. You know what I mean? You can start your own whatever without anybody having their hands in it. You know what I mean? And it's the amount of energy and work that you put into it. So it's like, basically, we we no longer, uh, we can say when uh, those rules apply in certain rules of engagement, in certain avenues, certain areas where you, you're approaching for a job and you may or may not get picked up or whatever. But that doesn't stop anything. To me, it's like now we have the opportunity to be self-motivated and say, okay, well, if that person's not going to give me an opportunity, let me make my own opportunity. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we have to have that drive in ourselves. We have to have, you know, I've recently been uh, trying to trying to gather as much information about us as a people in the past. You know what I mean? Retracing the steps of history, you know, for for uh, African-Americans, Africans or black people, period, you know, our history. And um, I'm realizing that we are just as able-bodied and uh, able to obtain a higher education just as anybody else. But when we allow ourselves to be limited by you know, our environment or our own way of thinking, because of wherever we're at, then it's, then it's game over. You know what I mean? But I, I, I think the individual has to, has to ask themselves, is this how is this how I'm gonna uh, let the story play out? You know, I think, everybody. I think what's what has happened to our culture partly is that I think we've had an overemphasis on the on the national in terms of our own the way we view ourselves. So I think it's too much to ask uh, a young person in any city to say, "How do you want to compete?" on the national and international stage and start figuring that out at five years old. That's too much, right? Not everybody's going to compete on the national and international stage. Why are we treating that like, like that's the only stage? And this is to your point about having a, the ability to reset uh, between your, your relationship with God. And this is to your point about uh, your aspirations and what, what people's aspirations should be and what their concerns could be and where they could meet reward. So if people were free to work on their relationship with God with 100% of their time. And what, what we see is, is that that would create uh, these, these silos of truth where somebody in rural Georgia believes one thing about the national scene, whereas someone in the suburbs of Southern California believes quite a different thing. Uh, and so these two people are ostensibly in different tribes, but they're only in conflict when their aspirations have to conflict on the national or international stage. If this person in rural Georgia was instead totally free to pursue her interest in her city, in her town, and was, was deeply concerned with her city and her town, then who knows how far she would go in that realm. The same for the person in Southern California. Uh, I feel like when I wake up in the morning, if I have to compare all of my achievements to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and and uh, and Bill Gates, well then I'm always going to fall short. Uh, and if that's all that's if if it's never meaningful to me who my city council is, if it's never meaningful to me who my mayor is, who my neighbors are, if I don't if it doesn't matter who those people are, then that might not be such a 
easy thing that we should just dismiss. That that might be a very bad thing that it doesn't matter who we live next to. Um, and I think that relates to our relationship with God because isn't isn't our, our our relationship with God? Can't that be viewed one way as your relationship with your surroundings, right? Your relationship with the sunlight that's actually hitting your skin in this moment or the relationship with uh, the ground that's actually touching your feet in this moment. You know, if God is to be found anywhere, I would argue that he is to be found in the moment. And the moment concerns intimately our neighbors, right? Yeah. Yep. And let me, let me ask you this. Do you think, uh, you think one of the major problems is, is, the 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 value system like our our what our values are like i think way... i think so i think i think the values have gotten too externalized in america i feel like our materialism of the early 20th century where we became obsessed with celebrities and clothing and cars and possessions and you know just materialism generally mm-hmm. uh, i feel like we've pulled that so far to where now it's eroding on our internal senses. And so I feel like in the early 20th century, when people were competing over, or we're talking about the newest coats and who's wearing what on fifth Avenue, it was all a delight because each of them had in their own private lives, both parents at home, community churches, community organizations, they had values at home that were the real life and then all the other stuff was novelty it was entertainment but for us celebrity culture and who has how much money and who's doing what that's our real concern people are really concerned about what joe rogan says right joe rogan is one guy (laughs) he's one guy i love joe rogan uh don't get me wrong understand what i'm saying here uh but i don't I shouldn't say I don't care. I don't want to put that in the world. It's it's not immediately practically important. And it's unfortunate that this is the case. But it's not immediately practically important what my neighbors think about various things. And that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like a good position for my values to be in. Shouldn't I value very much what my neighbors' positions are? Shouldn't that be vitally important? Uh, and so that's what I feel like the erosion of our values is. The, our values have gone to this wide, wide level where now we're overlooking the value of proximate community, uh, mm-hmm. the value of knowing our neighbors. That used to be a value. Mm-hmm. You used to be you able are. to go to your neighbors and say, hey, I'm I'm going to my sister's. Can I leave John here or something like that? I could. I don't know a neighbor here that would do that in my in my community. Right. Uh, yeah, you used to be able to, I mean, so in, I'm thinking of Breaking Bad. In Breaking Bad, the family gave their neighbors keys to the house. Uh, you know, and in my experience, my mom and my uncle never gave neighbors the keys to the house. It's not something you did. Uh, you'd give, uh, you know, you give your brother who lives a city over or a couple neighborhoods over the keys to your house, and then he could come over in a drop of a hat, but not your neighbor. Um, and so I guess I guess the erosion of neighborhood values I feel like is is part of the problem. I'm thinking. Do you, do you think that that what something like that will ever come back? It, it's, in a sense, it seems like some things that are gone just won't return just because of the way that the world is headed. I think you know they I mean? will. 
I think they will come you think back. So? Yeah, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I anticipate, I anticipate serious strife in this nation, uh, as as the as our shared facts evaporate and our and our ability to agree on facts nationwide and statewide uh, evaporate. Uh, we're going into this air season of, of turmoil um, that's rapidly approaching. And I think what will happen after this season of turmoil is that we will realize that shared facts cannot be had online. They just can't. Um, not, not in the way that we want it to. Maybe to some way, but not in the way that we necessarily want it. Not in the way that we can rely on. But where we can have shared facts that we rely on will be local no matter what the internet says i know that it's a perfectly nice day outside and if i were to knock on my neighbor's door and ask for some milk and we can make some pudding and talk about politics we could do that here in our local community it's very safe and it's very nice where i am right now and i think as the international stage and as the internet stage becomes more and more turbulent uh and seemingly and the turbulence seeming never seemingly never stops and just keeps getting worse people will turn to their local environment for stability they would say you know what i'm i'm turning this computer off and i'm going to go talk to my neighbor because that's healthier for me it's healthier for my neighbor it's better to do uh and they will do that and then we will have a resurgence of community spirit of a local regional city and one funny thing is i have to articulate this from the city because in rural counties they already they already know this (laughs) In the rural counties, they're listening, listening to me going, uh, yeah, you're dumb. You're coming from a dumb position to a position where you should have been all the time. Uh, to even think that community values and shared values local in your community weren't the most important to ever be in that position was your first flaw. Um, right. Yeah. The, the, the only thing that I'm concerned about is the, the way that this, particularly this country is, a lot of people want to escape. A lot of people don't want to talk to their neighbors because they don't, they, they don't want to hear about somebody next to them doing better than they are. You know what I mean? Or I don't, I, I, I don't know, man. I think like, I, I understand what you're saying as far as the, the ideas of it, but as far as looking at the way things are headed, it's like uh, lines are being drawn. You know what I mean? And then people are coping with the lines that are drawn by escaping. That's why he's, that's why the internet, everything, I mean, not to mention, you know, what's taking place with uh, the virus and, you know, the, the tragedy of all that. But right now, social media networks, internet technology is at an all-time high. That's what everybody, you know, you would think, well, actually, the virus is kind of... You know, have people kind of separated from each other too, and that's all. Well, that that also kind of links to my my point mm. with 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 the virus. You know, has everybody separated to a certain extent? I mean, you have people who still go and do what they want to do, anyways. But that that has created a, a scare to where people don't really you know talk to everybody like they used to. They're concerned of you know touching the same thing something somebody something somebody else has done, and and also too. Like you said, as far as uh, people being concerned about with celebrities and stuff like that, people want to take their minds. What do they call it? Is it escapism or whatever it is where you, you, your mind is taken away from what you're actually doing? A lot of people don't want to deal with reality. And I, I think unless 
reality gets better or the opportunity for reality gets better, people are going to go farther away from the truth. You know what I mean? And technology, and the, the, the problem with that is the people that, that make these social networks and that and the, that have the, the resources to, to come up with these platforms, they're going to capitalize on that. And they're going to make even more, you know what I mean, uh, apps and programs to keep people's attention away from their neighbors. Mm. You know, so I, I think it's like something major really has to happen in order for people to wake up and say, okay, I'm going to deal with reality. I, you know, I think I think that major thing will happen, and I think it will be ugly, and I think it will be catastrophic. Uh, oh, I, well, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine something along the lines of, so let's say, right? So Biden just won, uh, so that means that the next mass shooting uh, is liable to raise concerns of let's say restrictions on semi-automatic rifles uh, or semi-automatic rifle bans nationwide. And so then that of course immediately precipitates millions, many millions more semi-automatic rifles going out into the populace in anticipation of such a ban. Uh, and then after that you get somebody who is leading a group that never believed that Biden was the legitimate president. They've carried ever since this election, that this nation has been lost, that the election has been stolen, and that Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. And in a spirit to protect this country, they put together a couple thousand people to march on Washington with their semi-automatic rifles uh, in open display. And that won't go well. And so maybe you get counter protesters at this event, maybe several hundred people lose their lives because once some bullets start to fly, fly then a lot of bullets start to fly. And it's an ugly, ugly scar, uh, an episode that we have to wrestle with. And I think after that, after something like that, people will say, uh, where have we gone? What have we done? They will reflect and they will, will reorient themselves to what's meaningful and what's true. Uh, and I think what they will find uh, after that reflection is that your local environment is meaningful and true. The sun that's hitting your skin, the grass that's under your feet, the neighbors and their plants, your sister and her kids, your brother and his kids, your parents. That's what's meaningful. Uh, and I think that's been meaningful the whole time. It's just that we're distracted now. But I, and I don't think we'll refocus as a culture until something horrible happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could. I, I just, to me, I, it, I think it's a, that's a big, a big detachment. You know what I mean? This, this, it's the, the direction this world has been headed in has been headed in it progressively for a minute. Yep. You know, yep. so I hope, I hope so, man. You know, I, I, I myself personally uh the, well, the hope is that it doesn't take tragedy right the hope, right the hope is that it doesn't take tragedy i'm these days uh you know t december 5th 2020 i'm of the opinion that we that the tragedy is unavoidable today i hope to be have a different opinion tomorrow <laughs> i really really do uh today i don't think the tragedy is avoidable i think it's gonna happen yeah i, I think Honestly, yeah. I mean, the the with all the turmoil and discord, and uh, 
opposition, you know, that it's so there's so much anger, uh resentment, uh there's such a gap in who has and who doesn't have. Yep. It, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a powder keg um for something to, to transpire and uh, I hope it I hope nothing nothing of a huge magnitude does transpire, but um, and it's it's a powder. So it is a powder keg. Uh, I am of that opinion. And as I look more into it, uh, and by looking more into it, I mean I am active on Parlor. I, oh, okay. I go on Parlor pretty much every day, uh, and read at least. I don't post every day. And I'm on Twitter. Uh, and I subscribe to R Donald on Reddit. And I subscribe to R Democrats on Reddit. And so I'm trying to keep my eye on the ground on both sides uh, and all the extremes as well. And you know, of, the, uh, of the opinion that it's a powder keg, powder keg, the more I look into it, the more powdery and the more keggy it gets. Right. <laughs> and so I'm in a position of, oh, this is going to blow. And it's just about when. And it's just about understanding what caused it to blow. And it's about understanding how to prevent it from blowing next time. One of the things that bothers me that I think fuels the fire is uh, the news on both sides, the way things are reported. You know, I've, I've been watching both sides for a little bit of time now, and they're both just stoking the fire. Yep. Like nobody's nobody's waving a white flag. Nobody's trying to bridge the gap. There are some. There are some. I can, Who? I can introduce you to them. Uh, Brett Who? Weinstein, Brett Weinstein, and Heather E. Hying are two of my favorite people right now. Uh, Sam Harris, Who? Jordan Peterson. What? Okay, but you're talking about independent uh, sources, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about a handful of people. <laughs> you're talking about the, the people. See, yeah, the the. Uh, and, and and that's 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 beautiful. The the people, the boots on the ground. That you know, the the um, grass. I don't know if they call them grassroots, but I'm I'm talking about the major outlets that project to the masses. Mm. You know what I mean? They're stoking the fire, and that's sad. Yeah. Because it's like we're in a we're we're in a delicate time right now, where this is the time for integrity. This is the time to put the differences to the side and let's see if we can uh and, and I personally I think it's a, as a major news outlet I think it's your responsibility to try to uh bridge or at least bring you know some some type of uh civility to the situation but now I realize man it's like and these it's really almost like a a finger pointing match you know and they're doing this and this and that and, and then they're doing this and I'm like, man, these 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 outlets are worse than my kids. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and and where is the responsibility? Because and, oh, you know what's sad about it, cousin? Because they're both gonna benefit if something tragic happens because they're gonna report on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how yeah, that that's terrible. That's terrible. And terrifying. <laughs> it, it is. That's terrifying. Because to me, what that says is that they're stoking these flames. They're stoking these flames. They're finger pointing. And if a fight breaks out, they make money. So they've got no incentive to prevent <laughs> exactly. the fight from breaking out. No incentive. Exactly. Exactly. That's 
that's sad, man. But that puts it, it on us. I let me turn you to a thinker who you are going to love. This guy's name is Chris Hedges. He's an author and a speaker, and you can find his stuff all over the all over the internet. He's been speaking and, and talking for a long time. Uh, and what he has put forward is that look, the American leadership class has abandoned us. Us the us being the American common class, the American. The elite economic class, they have abandoned us. And the mainstream media is in tow to these classes. And so they're, it's, they're completely unresponsive to the American common. Mm-hmm. And the American common, we will be left to kill each other while the rich look from behind privately guarded gates. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the state we're in now. Uh, and so he is one of the people that is another one of those people who's trying to Describe and articulate reconciliation. Uh, we Americans need unity. We need reconciliation. We need uh, cooperation. And we need understanding. Uh, I think that the principles that are most important are truth, civility, and hard work. And I think that those principles transcend political party and so those are the principles on which i choose to focus i think those principles transcend race and so those are the principles on which i choose to focus and that's how i define patriotism as well do you think uh you think that can be you think reconciliation can be achieved um through government intervention intervention no oh not intervention but government assistance excuse me government assistance <clears throat> with 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 uh the people uh, working together as well like you see what i'm saying as a community as well as like the people's boots on the ground as well as the government assisting or do you think that it, it starts with us period uh, you know I, mean? I i personally mm-hmm. i think it starts with us and it has to start within and then to go outward because i think if it comes from the outside then there's a there's going to be a level of control on what happens how it happens and you still have uh interference in the, in the true uh the true idea of what, what we're trying to accomplish as far as you know people fully believing that they're fully liberated mm-hmm. and able to reach their uh full potential and growth i think it comes from the inside but is it possible for us to achieve that from the inside considering we're fighting an uphill battle you know not only are people battling themselves we have you know communities battling within but then at the same time people are struggling to uh maintain their life at the same time you know what i mean to be able to be able to uh live while achieve mm-hmm. so how what do you think um what do you think will be the the best course of action i think the next best step we can take is a universal basic income Uh, i think that would be meaningful for individuals as well as meaningful for states and cities and our whole nation and here's why i don't think we will ever be able to agree on large scale well yeah i don't think i don't think you'll ever be able to get more than 55% of the nation to be on the same page about some national issue at any one time. Um, No, I shouldn't say that. Um, Why do I think basic income will help? So the internet's a mess. The internet's going to stay a mess. The internet's not going to get better. So I have, I have no, (laughs) 
I have no confidence that the internet will suddenly, spontaneously, at in, at any point, become a organized, ordered place that is a beacon of truth. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think it's realistic to expect that. What I do expect is that if you give individuals freedom, if you give citizens freedom, more time to pursue the interests that uh, that they are interested in, more time to develop themselves, develop their individual relationships with God, more time to with their families, then the better natures, the better, better angels of our nature, to use that phrase, will shine through if you give us more freedom. And I think that's what America in her experiment actually represents, that if you give people freedom, then you can have people that believe differently, that look differently, that are theologically ideologically uh, and in so many ways enemies they can be neighbors neighbors in america and their kids can play together and their kids can, and they can they can eat together at times uh and i think that's part of our great experiment and i think that comes from freedom so let's keep going let's do more freedom the freedom dividend basic income and i think what that will do is that will give americans the ability to say no to jobs that they don't like and still be able to survive. And so part of what's what's dividing us so deeply is that Amazon has no incentive to pay its workers any more than it does. And Jeff Bezos is running away with the whole bank. Uh, Walmart, I've been I've been boycotting Walmart for a long, long time. I failed a couple of years ago because uh, their stuff, they had some cheap stuff online that I, that I looked at and bought. But other than that, I try not to go there because their business model was just to provide each community, quote-unquote, lower prices. Meanwhile, that money was leaving their community and going to the Waltons. Money that used to go to the Joneses that ran the hardware store and money that used to go to the Smiths that ran the local beauty salon, now it's just going to the Waltons. And you're buying, you're buying hammers and brushes that were made in China. Uh, so this is the global economy. I don't think the global economy is a bad thing. I just think it has changed the way that the American common needs to view themselves. We are not laborers. That does not define us. It should not define us. It defined us for a couple generations because it was true and it works. But that's not how I define myself. And I don't think that's how any other American commoner should define themselves. You are not a laborer. You are a citizen and you are a person. You're a father, a son. Uh, a sister, a mother, right. and a friend. That's how you need to define yourself. And we should have an economic paradigm that first recognizes that. And then I think I think much healing will come from that. I think much I think then people will be able to talk to each other. Uh, they'll be able to say, hey, I'm a far left AOC liberal and I'm here on this podcast with a far right Trump supporter and we're going to talk it out <laughs> and we're all going to listen to those conversations because uh, those are going to be so you, pretty interesting conversations. Do so you think uh, uh, financial relief will bring about uh, I, I guess will we'll allow people to 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 uh, lower their stress level, their stress levels to lower a little bit so people will be more open I, I, I agree. It's not, just, it's not just financial relief. I mean, that's the form that it comes. The principle that I'm putting forward is attentional autonomy. So what I'm putting forward is the ability for every American citizen 
to be able to pay attention to whatever they want, whenever they want, for as long right. as they want. This is this is what children of the wealthy, this is what the ability that they're born with. They can try okay. to start a bagel business in their early 20s and fail. They can go to college to get a degree in philosophy and then decide to do an internship at a nonprofit and have that not work out. And they don't have to they don't have to earn any money at any point in their lives. That's freedom. That's freedom and that's what I want for the American people. What do you think about uh, the black community in regards to uh, breaking those generational chains in our way of thinking? Because uh, do you do you feel like if we were to receive that that bread, like do you think that would change the direction? that generations of our people have been headed in, you know what I mean? As far as like the same routines, the same grew up doing the same thing over and over again, staying in the hood, this and that, you know what I mean? I do. I do. Yes. Specifically for the black community. What I think we need to do is reverse the brain drain, reverse the, once you make it, you need to get out of the hood mentality. I think that's what's that along with absentee fatherism are two two behaviors that we have perpetrated on against ourselves. So every time a black person uh, got an education, rose from the ranks and and made something admirable of themselves and then left the hood they did a disservice to the hood from which they come. Slight disservice. I'm not condemning them. You know, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, I mean, I'm living in Orange County as we speak. Uh, so I'm certainly in that camp at the moment. I hope to, to change it soon. And so it's my aspiration to go back to the hood. My business, my software company, for instance, is located is in Compton. Uh, that's the address that I have. Uh, I, I don't live there now because I have a day job in Irvine. Uh, but I hope to center my businesses in Compton in the hood from which I came. And I think that's how we specifically as black people can stop those trends. I came from a fatherless home. It is my intention to father uh, lovingly in my home. And that's a way to break the generational change. Uh, and I think that the more, the more it happens, the more that black intellectuals stay in the neighborhoods from which they came and the more that people, uh, Men that came from fatherless homes or women that came from motherless homes, the, the reverse, I'm sure, uh, happens quite a bit, and it's very painful. The more that children that came from parentless homes uh, or damaged homes provide a complete and healthy home for their children, the more we, we make that turn back to the healthy. And I think basic income uh, fits into that equation nicely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see it as um, uh, an opportunity and a stepping stone. My my biggest concern with our people is to change our way of thinking as far as, you know, like when we, you think, when, when we refer to uh, Compton, you know, it, initially my thought is, you know, the hood. Why is that? You know what I mean? Like, why, why does... Why does Comp like what makes Compton the hood and makes Beverly Hills, you know, uh, the rich uh, neighborhood? You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? The, the, the difference of its residents? Well, that, but no, but see, when you, when we say hood, 
it's in reference to like mm, the hood mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. and when I think about that, I think about liquor stores. Yep. Everywhere, every corner. You know what I mean? I Hustler, I hustlers I, I, that'll lie to you, lie to your face to get a dollar out you. Man, come on, man. Yeah. It's like I'm, the mentality. You know, I, I I was just thinking to myself, like, do you think it's possible if we had uh, uh, some, I don't know, uh, a, a leader, uh, a new black leader that could capture the, the attention of, of, you know, of our people? And and provide some type of inspiration. Like, is, is there something that something or someone, some organization, some that can 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 give us or or give those you know who need it uh, a fresh perspective? I I You're, don't I don't you because think that's I think possible? That, no I I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I think that the the season of the of the emphatically black leader um has passed only in that we needed a, a emphatically black leader when that w when the law was so explicitly against black people as a unit when you had jim crow laws when you had separate but equal then we needed black explicitly black leaders but the law has become colorblind largely. There's still a lot of remnants of these laws uh, and that need to be got done away with. For instance, slavery needs to be actually made illegal in the Constitution. It's ridiculous that it's not. Um, that there's a loophole for incarceration. And so, but I, mean, but, but I think that season has passed. I think what we need now is not even to see ourselves primarily as black, but to see ourselves primarily as Americans. And that goes for Americans of every color uh, of course we should be proud of our heritage and, and i am i am proud of my heritage uh, but i see myself primarily as a filer uh and as a member of this family as a filer hoxie and then i see myself secondarily i guess as an american uh, before yeah, i'm black that's uh, as an american uh, I, I, that's that's a tough one because when you have the uh when you have law enforcement they're seeing you as black, and when you have, you know, you, we, we still we're reminded that we're black all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I have honestly, I can tell you this, and this is the honest, I have never felt like I've ne only time I felt like I was an American was I was in another country. Mm. As in the United States, I've always felt as a as black first, mm. Mm. American mm. second, and I've been reminded of it even when. I'm no longer in the in the inner city environment. I'm still reminded that I'm black by the 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 looks that I receive and the responses that I receive from individuals, even though I articulate myself well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm still looked at just because the way you know the color of my skin. So if I can overcome that because of you know who I become and still you know move forward, I still I'm still saying I don't necessarily feel that I'm American. I still feel like I'm perceived as black, but what I'm saying is I'm still able to move forward. I've worked through that. But what about those in the inner city environments where that's all they feel they are? You know what I mean? Yeah. Even with the income, that's not going to change their thought process. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm this, as, as so many individuals I know 
that they are they're 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 talented. They they have they have the ability to achieve so much, but I've heard it out of their mouths. This is who I am. This is the way I'm gonna be, and they rock with it. You know what I mean? And they they embrace. It's almost like some of our people have embraced the stereotypes because they're like, well, if I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be this to the fullest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying as far as a black leader, somebody to instill pride, to give a sense of that that's willing to go in there with them. Like you have, and there are brothers, there are brothers doing that. I wish I knew some names of some organizations, but I know there are brothers that go in there in there and they're telling them like, look, man, I was where you were at and now I'm doing something different. Yeah. But I'm what I'm saying is something big enough to capture the attention to, 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 to I don't know if that's even possible. I'm just, you know, speaking but yeah, I, hear, I, hear. I would i would love to see that to see you know our people believe because it's the fact is we are more than you know our circumstances we are more than where we're at right now we can become more than where we're at right now you know but for people to believe it to stand on it and to walk in it mm-hmm. constantly you know what i mean because you know I'm blessed to be not necessarily in the hood, you know, but there's, I mean, where I live at, there's still stuff that takes place and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's not a bad neighborhood, but stuff still happens. But what I'm saying is, you know, there's individuals who are surrounded by it, mm. you know what I mean? And, and they have to continue, continue to walk that walk. And I mean, that's just, that's one of the things that you were saying, like some of them move out. And don't come back because they remember, you know, it took me 10 years to get out. You know what I mean? And and and, and that's the thing. There have to me, the 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 roles have I, I would I would believe it would be most effective if the roles could grow from the concrete. Like Nipsey Hustle, for instance, you know, which is a tragic story. He was building his neighborhood up. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm thinking about. Like, you know. Kick these liquor stores out, you know what I mean. Kick, 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 kick out these. You, 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 you go to Beverly Hills in their neighborhoods. You don't, you know. I mean, this is this is this this has been said, and I'm not the I'm certainly not the first person to say that, but it's true though. Look how many liquor stores uh, are are littered in the in the in the hood. Yep. You know what I mean. Everywhere you turn, and they've also been uh, what's the word? They've been adopted by the by the gangs from that hood. Mm. This is our liquor store. So not only have they gotten our minds to where you know we're going there and we buying this stuff and consuming it, so we're making money for people that don't even live there. We've also embraced their store. Yep. <laughs> this is my liquor store. You know what I mean? And, and that's a problem. Our, our mentality, man. That's why I. I, I my prayer is for a change in the mentality, like the resources, like the, the universal income. That's a resource. That's a valuable resource. I agree with you, cousin. But I, I want the mentality to change of the individuals who receive it. And I hope that when they receive it, their mentality, it would bring about a change in their mentality. No, like no, you no. Said, the, the basic income won't change the mentality. What I think can can most directly affect change in the hood mentality uh, won't be a singular leader. Uh, to your to your question i don't believe in a singular leader i believe that in order for people in the hood and compton to improve their attitudes about the hood and compton 
they need to see examples of people that came from that neighborhood that then live in that neighborhood as a successful example of something different. And so it's the same for the hood in Baltimore. It's the same for the hood in New York. It's the same for the hood in Houston. It's the same for the hood in, in Chicago, right? If, if, if I'm from some terrible, some area, some terrible neighborhood in Florida, my hood mentality is going to be a little bit different. I, you know, some dude from New York can't tell me about my hood. He's not from my hood. And so it's not a singular leader as much as it's leaders from their respective neighborhoods staying put and working hard when they can. And there are plenty of people that do. Um, you know, our grandfather was an example. Uh, he didn't come up in the in the bad hood, but he was an example of someone who took pride in his local community and fought yeah. for it. Uh, fought for it continuously uh, for decades and i think that's what's going to make the meaningful difference uh, it won't be it won't be somebody from new york that's going to change compton it won't be somebody from georgia that's going to change baltimore it's got to be somebody from that neighborhood often maybe not in every case but often that says i'm from here i understand what it is to be from here and you and you can look at the path that i'm walking and take it as an example to the extent to which that you wish, right? Nobody, nobody's a perfect person. Uh, but Uncle K always says, born, raised, and educated in Compton. Um, and I try to follow that. And, I, and that's what I think will help. I think that's what will help the hood in the long run. So what if they were, uh, what if they're charismatic, like uh, Malcolm X and, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr.? You don't think uh, somebody could affect change all the way running all of, all across the board. Uh, I think somebody could. I don't think anybody has to. I don't. I, and I'm not. And I'm not waiting for that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not banking on that. <laughs> no, I think that. I, I guess it's food for thought. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that one. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about before. Yeah, the the you know, in my mind, the individual. I would hope you know individually. We would, and I, I, I think that is it is happening to a certain extent. Like even now, to my understanding, to my knowledge, you know, gangs is not necessarily about. It's, it's not like it, the way it was, you know, when we were younger. And I, I tell everybody, like, man, I remember when we were kids, and you come outside, and you had somebody standing there, they were, you know, flamed up or blued up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they would hit you up like on the corner. Yeah. Like right there, you know, you couldn't you couldn't breathe without somebody asking about where you were from. Remember, you couldn't walk through Palmer, so it, oh. it was so we were right there on Arbutus, and you could go to school, you could walk down Matheson, you could go into the Fruits, but you couldn't take Palmer because oh, the Palmer yeah. block was this one little blue block inside of this Burgundy neighborhood. Man, Palmer from Palmer all the way to Compton Boulevard, you didn't want to walk those streets. <laughs> that but was Magnolia had a blood gang on it though. There was a blood gang on Magnolia yeah. over by where the McDonald's was, is. Yeah, but still, those those were hot zones to be walking around, period. You know what I mean? You wanted to get in the car and go past those yeah. and get out. <laughs> you didn't want to walk. I mean, oh, my gosh. Was, but, couldn't. You know what? Couldn't. It was dangerous. Yeah. It was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, now it, it's, a, it's a blessing to see that there is a change taking place. You know, our, our people are waking up to a certain extent and and I, and I hope we continue to wake up, you know, because 
lately I've been I've been just I don't know whether it's just the, it's being reported a lot or whether I'm just noticing it a lot, but people are just people are. I mean, I, I, of course, it's you know it happens. Period. But people are passing left and right, and it's I mean the young ages, man. And I mean, and it's not like it hasn't been happening uh, anyways regularly, but just you know seeing on the on seeing on going online and seeing this person twenty something, mm. this person I just saw. You know, uh, five year old, and and that's just hurt my heart. I was reading an article about a five year old. You know, uh, somebody shot into a car, man, killed a five year old. Mm. You know, and it's like there's no guarantee. Why are we waste? Why are we waste? Why waste? Why why is this gift being lost? This loss of life, which is a gift, you know, over what? You know what I mean? It, so many different reasons why it happens, and it's, it's sad. It's tragic, man. Well, that's part of so what makes, that me, being... makes me remind, uh, think of the fact that we're animals. Uh, I think that's. I think it's most important to understand that we're evolving from a historical culture in which infant mortality was higher than fifty percent for what most of our history, or something like that. Um, and so today, lives are lost outside of pandemic uh, it's a terrible event but norm under norm more norm more normal circumstances lives are lost at a lower rate than at any time in recorded history but the difference is we see all of the loss right so it would be as if a million lives are lost one year and you see 10 so on your record 10 lives were lost that year as far as you know but because 90 because 900 thousand and nine hundred ninety were lost in silence but then the next year there are five hundred thousand lives lost half as many but you see two hundred and fifty thousand to you this is a 25 250 x increase in the loss of life as far as you're aware and so it can be right. incredibly overwhelming uh but that's the age of, that's where we are in the age of information we're seeing all almost all the loss there's so much horrible death you can see on the internet at any one time uh, but that doesn't change yeah. the fact that this is Awareness. amongst the safest time in history uh, and it's hard to reconcile those things it's very hard to reconcile those things but i think that's ultimately what we have to do awareness and also to uh the reasoning behind it like you said illness and stuff like that it, you know things that are, you we have a certain level of control of you know there were things that we can't control you know you well, for me, I, I say I, I guess me I can I can accept to a certain extent, you know, losses because of things that are out of control, out of our control. But you know, when you hear about somebody shooting into a car for whatever reason, you know, killing a five year old, killing anybody, you know what I mean? Why did it transpire? Well, I just you watched a, a short documentary last night about the. I want to say Lin, Lindus and I'm going to do a disservice if I don't look it up. Two tribes in Congo uh, that are that fought each other in 2003 uh, to the to, called the Ituri conflict. The Hema versus the Lundu? Lindu versus Hemas. Uh, the Ituri conflict in, in Congo. Uh, there was a war where these people, these they they can they're ethnically separate groups, uh, and they went to war, 
14 years ago. Uh, it was a four-year conflict 17 years ago. Um, and they kill each other over these ostensibly, I guess, I would guess their belief systems. I didn't look into exactly why they see themselves as ethnically different. Maybe they have different ancestors. Uh, but they were talking to one of the guys, and he, of course, has the rifle on his back and the rocket launchers behind him and the other armed men around. And his reason was, I fight because they killed my father and they killed my brothers. Uh, but then the mm-hmm. other side is also true, right? They're fighting because they killed their brothers. And it occurred to me that tribal conflict, I think, is our more natural state. I think tribal conflict mm-hmm. on the skit, on the order of, let's say, about 1,000, 2,000 people at a time it's probably easier easier for our brains to, to operate at that wavelength. And so for us to do 320 million people in a peaceful society, that's, that's not really imaginable uh, from a lot of perspectives. But we're trying, we, and we care, to your point. <laughs> to your point, we're, we're trying. We're trying to save every American life, every day. Uh, for us... Any day where a single American dies is too many. I mean, what a beautiful place to live in, uh, I would argue. Yeah, I agree. That's true. I guess when I, when I look at it like that, you know, for so many people. But I guess I, I wasn't fair in addressing your point. Your, your point is why, um, why some idiot would pick up a gun and shoot at an enemy to kill his daughter senselessly. Why, do, why does our hood have such a seemingly permanent disregard for human life more yeah. disproportionately more than other cultures right um, that to your point I, right. mean, you know, I, I grew up in that uh and i blame the music quite a bit uh and i participated in the music i accept my share of the blame for promoting uh this hate-filled life um how do you say life denigrating music for as long as i did um. Yeah. Yeah. I blame the, the music. music for a large part. I don't know if I think it's the music. Cause I think I think the music uh, plays. I, I think the music can play a part. You know what I mean? Because I think if if we blame the music, then we should be able to blame the the movies. You know what I mean? Is is there's a couple of things that well, we could but put there's that. a difference. There's a difference in, in the way that we people from the hood take the music than take the movie. So I'm going to think of the song shorty want to be a thug. So when I was 12, I was in honey Tracy's room. I had her turntables right there and I was playing shorty want to be a thug and dancing around the bedroom on repeat. Uh, and it's shorty want to be shorty want to be a thug. He was a nice middle-class brother, but no one knew uh, the evilly grew when he got a little bigger. And so I couldn't wait to get myself, my hands on a gun. I couldn't wait to show, how the evil had grown in me uh, in order to live the message that I was hearing from this song more and more fully. Uh, and so the way that I took that music as someone growing up in the hood is different than the way that I took any Rambo movie or Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger action movie where they're shooting us or any video game. Uh, you know, the way that I took the music, I took it to heart in a way that I didn't take anything else. Uh, and but, I, I would but, guess that I'm not the only one. But I would say you only took it to heart in that particular for that particular time. You know what I mean? It didn't influence you enough to make you follow through, get the gun, and then go do something. But it did. You know what I mean? It, it did influence it, me that much. Well, 
I'm saying it evoked emotion in you and it kind of maybe gave you a sense of direction, but it didn't control your life. You know what I'm saying? You might have thought something and emulated something, maybe even acted on something, mm-hmm. but it didn't that, that didn't become your permanent path. So you it can't was, say the music. But it was because the only the only it was, intervention it was influential. It might have been influential, but I don't think you could say that it was the like if they say, okay. If they ask you a question, what was the single most influential thing that caused you to do this? You can't say, I heard Tupac, shorty want to be a thug, and that's why I did it. I'm sure there's going to be a couple other, uh, more, there's a couple other, something else that affected you more for whatever it is that you went and did. You know what I mean? Whatever transpired. That's true for joining a gang. So if they phrase that question, if they say, why did you want to join a gang? I can point to Shorty Want to Be a Thug, almost ex- not exclusively, exclusively, but it was it's, major. It, it's deeper than that, though. There's something behind you subscribing to that. You know what I mean? The the There's music more to it. There's more. It's not just it's not just the song, right? It was the dudes on the block. It was the dudes in my school. It was it was the whole environment that that worked together to make joining a gang a reasonable path and a desirable path. And so it wasn't just the song, it wasn't just the music, but without the music, I'll say this, without the music, if I had different music, if I had music saying, I love my parents, I love my family, I love my girl, I'm going to be an engineer. If I was listening to that music, while at the same time having the gangsters on my block, I'm not sure that I go the same way. But because the music was reinforcing the gangsterism that I saw, then I was, I was condemned to that path for that time get it i just i look at it and uh from a couple of different perspectives because you know you that song in in one sense can can uh can can be something to propel someone forward it could also be something to 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 push to make you take a step back mm-hmm. you know what i mean you you listen to the you listen to the it, it depends on how you're listening to it it depends on how you hear it you know what i mean two people can hear a song different way so I think in one way it could prevent somebody from wanting to join the gang. Because if, if they think about it like, well, I don't want to, that's not me. That's not who I well, want to be. I'm you might like Seven. Right? Huh? I, I wish I heard, I wish Seven was rapping. <laughs> I wish I'd heard oh, yeah. Seven when I was 12. Hey, you know what, though? I'm glad you brought him up, man, because some people can uh, listen to him. And, you know, you know, just he's rejected by uh, some Christians. You know what I mean? He's rejected by a portion of Christianity because they say he's glamorizing the gangster life. You know what I mean? Like they say, like he's they say that he's utilizing uh, he's 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 utilizing Christianity as a vehicle, you know, to to uh, in a sense push his his perspective of what it is to have a relationship with God, and that's that's deep. That's man, it is man. <laughs> This world is so deep on so many different levels because even uh, uh, a faith, you know, there's division within the faith because some people say, "Oh, you're not, you're not serving God right. You're not, you're not a true Christian. You're not, you know, Christ." And and that kind of lends to my point. You know, I, I think it's all how people hear it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, I think if you if you just hear it, like. Uh, objectively, like just listening to it, enjoy it for its musical merits. Then you can't. You, I mean, 
because the how would we know, oh okay, I say this how would we know the journey of of individuals how would we know the the some people would never know what goes on on the in the inner city if they didn't hear music about the inner city you know what I mean because they'll never go there or you know it, it, it's it's interesting too because I some people are really oblivious to the plight of other individuals because they have nothing to do with them they don't they don't they live in a completely I would different I would only world. adjust that phrase by saying instead of saying that some people are oblivious to the plights of other people I would say that most people are oblivious to the plights of most other people I think that's a state of culture of of nature even uh, of society, society this large so I agree with you I would push it even further uh, yeah. Not only that, some most most don't know about most. Yeah. But I, I, mean, I, I agree. I agree. There's a a, a responsibility. I agree when you when you when when they put that music out, that they have to be willing to accept the criticism and uh, the result mm. of when you do anything that you put your stamp on. You have to be willing to accept. You know what people say about it, or you know, I don't. I don't know if you can. I don't know if we can accept. I can. I don't know if uh, a person should be blamed for the music. I mean, because that's. I don't. That's that's a tough one. Well, for the me. role. The role I think the music plays is one of one of. Uh, so you know how when little kids bowl, you put up the the bumpers, right? The inflatable bumpers or the little plastic bumpers or something like that. And mm-hmm. the bumpers is what keeps the ball in the lane. If it weren't for the bumpers, the ball would go into the gutter and the ball wouldn't collide with any pins. But because the bumpers are there, they guarantee the collision with at least one pin. And so I think that's what the music does for the young mind in the neighborhood. It acts like a bumper. Whereas this, this mind would leave the hood given the chance. But as soon as they go home and they turn on, I'm not worth it, shoot me or kill me, shoot them or kill them, can't stand it, kill everything. And they go, oh yeah, well, it's not worth it, kill everything. And so this kind of bumps them back into that mentality. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's a tough one, man. I, I agree. There's a level of responsibility, but I also feel like that's just like reporting. In a sense, isn't it uh, to a certain extent reporting the news? If you only report the good news, you know what I mean. Then people are oblivious to the bad. No, they don't no. Even and actually, this is the distinction that I would draw between someone like, let's say. Let's say, let's use Tupac as an example, which is which is good to do, I think. So let's use Tupac in his prime. Tupac in his prime was definitely glorifying murder. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I don't know if I would say he glorified murder. You wouldn't murder. say he glorified murder? No. Okay, okay, let's use glor- an easier example. Tupac's complex. Let's use Crooked Eye. Crooked Eye glorifies murder in his rap. It's... Okay, I, I I need you to elaborate on what you mean by saying they glorify murder. I mean, because you can you can talk about uh, homicide taking place in a song, but you're not saying, yeah, I'm glad I killed him. Like, you know what I mean? I'm gonna kill him again and kill him again. You can talk the 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 examples that I the understanding that I have in the music that I've listened to that I would say. I, I respect it to a certain extent. They talked about, you know, homicide taking place, but there was a story behind it. 
it was like telling you this is what happened and it's like i don't to me listening to it i'm like i don't want to get involved with anybody that i could might end up like that you know what i mean i don't it, they're, they're like warnings to me you know i i don't i don't there are artists that have put out music that are like you know i'm, I'm gonna kill this person out this and that and that they're very dark you know what i mean and i think for any anybody to subscribe to them their mind is already you know when you listen to it and you hear how dark it is if you subscribe to it you already got some issues i but say i wouldn't, I wouldn't artist, even say these people have issues so i'm thinking of of chicago what's the name of the music that they made Chief Keith, the, the drill drill no, music i don't i don't know specific chicago rappers but there's a name yeah the drill music drill is it drill yeah, you're talking about where they talk about, you know, with their guns and they're doing yeah, this. Yeah, they, they all, the the all the videos are of them dancing around in some room holding all the weapons they have. Yeah. They're, all yeah. the videos are this, basically the same. So drill music, yeah. So to your point, the people who are making drill music are already convinced of the message in drill music, and then they listen to other drill music, and then thus convincing even more people, and then that's the cycle. That's the cycle. And so I, do, I don't expect... I don't expect the music to stop. Uh, I don't. I don't even think it's unreasonable from where they come from. But the stance that I'm taking is that I'm saying it. The music doesn't have to exist the way it exists, and the people who make the music have to take as much responsibility as they can for the effect of the music. So when you pick up a gun and say, "Come and test me, I'll kill you. Come and test me, I'll kill you." Hello. You have to take responsibility for every 11-year-old that now wants a gun and Im and wants to imitate you. I I well, when you say responsibility, you mean they they have to be willing to to accept the criticism and and accept the uh I mean, what what Okay, let me say this. I think I was just thinking about what you was talking. In a sense, I feel like it it has to be said. That this has to be said because this is a wake up call. If these kids weren't making this music no, and doing no, this, I don't think it. I don't think it has to be said. I don't think it has to be said. So you don't. How would you know that there is a dire need to help this community? That there is something so dark. And so tragic taking place in this uh, community. If you didn't see something like this, no. Like, how not. did the world? Uh, uh, oh, oh, so you okay, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you. I'm gonna charge it. I don't know how you got in. She, she opened the door. All right, to let you thank know you that sweetheart. your phone had died and you got to charge it. She's so helpful. Hey, <laughs> That's great for the airway. You heard my baby girl uh -huh. came in, gay dad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, think about it like this: if if uh, what was it? Uh, the reporting on the Vietnam War when they show the footage and stuff like yes, that. Wasn't yes. that one of the reasons instrumental for them pulling out? Absolutely, it was. So Why? Your question is: How would we get the message about the hood out? Uh, if it, your question is how will we get the message about the the horrors of the hood out if it weren't for these this music and what i'm arguing is that they don't have to make rap songs and rap videos holding guns to express the pain of the hood how about this every time there's a murder in your hood take your phone walk over to the scene and do a vlog at the scene and say this is deshaun jackson he played football 
Uh, he was walking to his girlfriend's house. He was mistaken for someone who would kill somebody else, and now he's dead. And just keep doing that and put it on the inter- internet. You don't have to make a song boasting about your violent nature. I don't think that's helpful. There are other ways to get the facts out that don't reinforce the, the cycle. You know why I say it's helpful? Because you're seeing firsthand the end result of what these kids have been through. This is their mentality. They're showing you. You getting you're getting firsthand from the horse's mouth. You're seeing video footage of them with rapping the song to the death with their friends, with their guns, saying this is how we live. There it's gotten so bad now that they don't even water it down. Now they got a video showing you firsthand. This is what and they have real guns. This is my gun. This is what I'm gonna do with this yeah. gun. That's their cry. That's what I'm telling you. That show it's important for people to see that. Because this is how bad it's gotten. Sometimes you have to see the damage. The the you got you you know people, the news, the mainstream media screen stuff. We don't see half the stuff as it happens. Yeah. We only see what they edit. This is unedited. That's what makes it so important. It's coming from their mouth. But it, but so it, but so it is. Not, it's highly edited. But high, high production quality. But my, no, no, my no, point no, is that uh, by them making the music and them by them saying, I am a killer, and then announcing that to the world, then it forces the people who hear this atrocious attitude to say, okay, I need to be against these killings, and maybe I need to be against this killer. That's one perspective. It also, it also causes the person to say, what happened? What is happening in this neighborhood for these kids to get this 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 dark and, and to, 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 to not care about life at all and willing to brag about it? What what turns a child who was at five years old, the most loving child in the world into now this cold hearted killer with a gun on a video rapping about how he'll kill you and your whole family when he wasn't that way before? What happened? What what causes you can look at them and you can say, oh, we got to lock them up. Yeah. But you got to understand that doesn't that that doesn't solve the problem because you lock them up. There's another one but coming up making a video after. That. I understand. You got to get. That. But my res- my what answer to that question is because you you no I agree with you. I agree with you. When you see this this person with the gun dancing, you, it makes you ask the question: What happened to make this person this way? I I, I agree with you and understand that. My answer to that question is videos like that one that's what happened that person saw other people dancing with guns on the video and then they go i'm gonna dance on a gun with video and then the, right. then another kid sees a person dancing and then they go do it that's not necessarily true cousin because before this drill music came out that was the new phenomena that video those the cheap key videos and stuff like that when they started doing the videos where they actually dancing with the, the the real pistols and stuff like that that wasn't prevalent in rap music that wasn't it that's why that's what propelled that 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 whole uh movement to the forefront and actually what made made those individuals uh stars in a sense but but you know i, what I mean? think you would agree because that... this wasn't done before I, this, I was, this type agree. of music wasn't coming out it wasn't it it was it was it, it wasn't popular until you know they started doing this yeah that's you know right. what i'm saying that's so right. they didn't start that way no, no, no. Yeah, I, I agree. I there's agree some, there. so there's something up, that happened behind the scenes that got them doing that. Exactly. No, you know what I'm saying? And it was there. And you look at. 
I'm talking about their in living, their living, their environment. Uh-huh. The 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 killing, the stuff that's taking on in their environment, and that has nothing to do. That's not the the music. You take away the music, the violence is still there. You take away the music, the poverty is still there. You take so, away the music, the drug, the, the drug dealing is still there. So we would agree. You know what I mean? We would agree that in the we would agree that no human without an, an example of picking up a gun and living this lifestyle would live this lifestyle unless they were shown it right there's not if you, if you put a person in the woods right they wouldn't figure out a way to make ice on their neck and grow their dreads and hold their gun in their hand they, that's not something they would just figure out. they have to see somebody do it first in real life i'm not talking about them videos now i'm talking about in real life uh, to your point uh then in that case i would put the onus of responsibility on the person that carries, that chooses to carry that gun, uh, whether it be the first for the second. But like I said, we all, all, they all had to learn from somebody. They all had to learn how to do it from somebody. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was a brother. Maybe it was a cousin. But on um, real life example, not the videos. I would keep putting the onus of responsibility on each person every time they choose to pick up a gun. And, you know, it, it makes it worse. I think it makes it worse when we choose an activity and then say society says i have to behave this way that's never true that's never true you choose to behave what's, what's, every way you, you behave what's the point of origin though where what what point of what of was absolute the origin an well, yeah exactly it's always an what example. set it all, what what set things in motion to the point where this person went where where okay let's what where did the gang start why did the gang start? When the gang started, why did the gang start from just a, a, a gang to a gang fighting, then from a gang from a gang fighting to a gang shooting, then from a gang shooting to a gang making videos, glamorizing shooting? You see what I'm saying? I do. Where did, I do. Where did, where did this begin? And when we talk about responsibility, mm-hmm. the problem that I see is the responsibility always goes back onto the black community. You know what I mean? That you, you we okay. True enough. True enough. Parents do have responsibility to their kids, but what about the environment that everybody is living in? Is it is it uh, is the environment um, setting you up for success, or setting you, or or the environment enable you to be successful, or the environment uh, is the, in the environment um, sabotaging, or or making it very difficult for you to be successful and making it easier for you to be, to fail. You know what I mean? The environment's environment's harmful. The environment's harmful to the extent, um, not, not only, but this is a component of a harmful environment, a harmful environment. One component of a harmful environment is a component that tells its participants. These are the ways that you have to behave and you're not responsible for taking responsibility for making these choices if you make these choices. That's a harmful idea. It's not true. And I think it's harmful in our community. I think when we say to a young gang member, you had to be a gang member because of your environment, we're doing them a great disservice. We're doing them a great harm and we're doing upcoming generation. What we... No, go ahead. You think they're saying that? I think that's what I mean. I think that's a message that gets around is that we say, oh, if you came up in the hood, then you had no choice 
but to be a gang member. That's kind of the message that we give them implicitly, and I think that's a harmful message. Uh, that's not the message that I give. The message that I give is if you came up in the hood, it's quite possible that you chose to join a gang. If you came up in the hood, it's quite possible that you chose to carry a gun and be violent. That's unfortunate, but those are choices that you made, and you have to bear responsibility for those choices. Uh, it's not that simple. It's not that simple, but that's, man. But it's also, simple. also, that's for everyone. That's that's across the human spectrum, but, right? So humans make choices, and they have to take responsibility for the choices they make. Not just but, black people in the hood, but all people of all colors. True, true. But it, it's the lesser of two evils. We, when you, what, what is it? Is it fair to grow up in an environment where you have to take the lesser of two evils? And if somebody else goes to an environment where they have no evils, they, they, they have evil and then they have good. Well, they life, have, is, life you know is what I mean? fair, but taking, taking responsibility for choices is independent of fairness. It's an independent. Okay, what I'm saying, well, I would say this uh, there's not a level playing field there's when you talk about the. So, so <clears throat> with that being said, everyone has to has to be willing to take a look at the environment that these individuals are growing up in and be willing to uh to give them provide them help assist some way in shape or form True. with an option but uh, uh, an unlevel playing field does not negate responsibility for choices The, the playing field is unlevel. It's not level. We're playing from way behind. But that doesn't negate responsibility for choices. Responsibility for choices is a human phenomenon. No matter if you're born in uh, the inner city in the early 80s uh, in America, or if you're born in Yemen or the Congo or Russia, wherever you're born. When you're oh, born... Okay. Are you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're born in... one. The, the conditions of your birth are 100% luck. It's blind luck who your parents are, who your parents are. That's that's just luck. And when and what time it is as far as 2000 or eight, 1980s or, I don't know, 1700, whenever. That's blind luck. To Up to the point till you're 25. Now, and this is a, a line that I've drawn, not completely arbitrarily, 25 years old is about the time where the uh, prefrontal cortex is finished myelinating, and so your personality is essentially in place by the time you're 25. Uh, and you're as mature as an adult biologically as you're going to be for the rest of your life, uh, effectively. So up to the point of 25, now the decisions that you make are completely on your shoulders. You have to take 100% responsibility from that point on. Now, between 0 and 25, there's an increasing sliding scale of responsibility, right? So when you're 12, there's a lot that you're not responsible for. When you're 12, most of the cards in your life, quote unquote, so the way your parents are, who you think is cool, who you don't think is cool, the culture, that's not, those are the cards that are being dealt to you. That's not your responsibility. But the way that you react to those cards, the way you choose to pick up a gun or not, the way you choose to participate, to join the rebels or not. Now, understandably, some situations are much worse than others. So I'm thinking now of some 17-year-old in a remote region of Afghanistan who is approached by the rebels. And the rebels say, 
listen, I see you, you're the man of your house. I see your mother. I see you guys grow. I got a nice farm here. I see your sister. Join us or we're going to kill your sister and your mother and you're going to join us anyway. So join us willingly. So he has a terrible choice to make, a terrible choice at 17. He has to join that militia in order to keep his sister and his mother alive. That doesn't negate the accurate description of what he just did as a choice. It's still a choice. The choice we all make every day is to live or not. That's the first choice you make in the morning. That was Shakespeare, to be or not to be. You choose that in the morning. You say, I'm going to live another day or I'm going to give up now. Most of us, by default, live every day. Uh, that's how we do. We just say, you know what? I'm just going to live. I choose to live. And when you choose to live, that's fine. That's great. That's beautiful. I applaud you. But you're also making all the other choices. And that, I think that's the best the best description that we can apply to our situation domestically, uh, interpersonally, internationally, whatever, in order to achieve better outcomes is that we have to first say that some people have better options than others. Some people are born on third base and the options that they're choosing from are amazing. Some people are born in the dugout and the options that they're choosing from suck. But nonetheless, everybody's making choices and we have to put responsibility on each individual for the choices that they make. That's that's the way I'm arguing it. And also the the uh, those in charge of governing those areas need to take responsibility for that area to be in the conditions that is in in order for these children to make those decisions that they make. Yeah. Why does a why why should a kid in Chicago feel like they have to make a decision like they live in Afghanistan? Yeah. Because it's almost the equivalent of the war zone that they're in yeah. you know what i mean they they make those same choices yeah. and that's that's where i have it. my 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 argument would be give these kids the same environment that other kids have where they have those options to do everything otherwise and see if they choose to oh, of course, of course if they we choose won't. of course we won't they're not gonna exactly yeah. that's that's my argument yeah. you know what i mean it's it's a it's and, and that's what bothers me because i know I know there's a certain percentage of our youth are going to march to their death. That's the saddest part about it. While we're speaking, there is a percentage of our youth that are going to march to their death. Yep. And the environment is not changing fast enough for them not to. And I like I understand what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying in the sense like, yeah, there is a level of responsibility to say yay or nay. But also, too. You got to think about it. These kids making these decisions, 11, 12, they're, they're, their brains aren't even developed enough. Yep. What they're doing is, in my opinion, fight or flight. They're going off of either I stand and fight or I run, either I run and hide every day or I fight. And it's a life, a life or death choice for an 11, 12-year-old. Yep. And then the, the sad part about it is all it does is create, it, it just fosters even more dysfunction because then – in order for these kids, the kids to deal with these with these choices that they're making, they start using, they start substance abuse. You know what I mean to cope, and then what that does is it kills their feelings. So by the time they become uh, sex, if they live to see 16, 17, 18, they their their feelings are almost numb, period, to it. So now they become this cold-hearted killer that the world has already said you're going to be, and. and in a sense, their fate has been decided. You know what I mean? Unless by the grace of God, uh, something some something takes place where you know they're they're able to to change or you know get pulled out of the situation. So 
you know, it, it's it's an uphill battle that's constantly uh, going on, you know, in in this country. And um, my concern is, like you know, like we were talking about, what is going to be the catalyst for real? Of all this, in the midst of very for real, thing oh, else no, no, that's no. happening in the country, what? you know, what? it's interesting, you know, COVID and uh, you know, all the deaths they taking place from the virus. That's like the news scare. That's front page news right now, and Antifa and you know the Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. But in the midst of all of this, the same killing is taking place in the inner cities. You know what I mean? There's no change. So like even with uh covid and uh the black lives matter movement and everything that's going on all the discord that's being you know that's, that's being played out on in, on the surface mm. you know the, the the killing never stops in the, in the inner city you know what i mean so what i'm saying is we even when things are back down to normal we they they, they we never our, our neighborhoods never fully get the attention and the resources and the assistance that it needs. So it's like, even now, even more so we're being uh, drowned out. I guess one so, question, one area where we might be different is whose attention and resources do you want for the hood? Uh, you know, I would say that the attention and resources that I want are those that I just want disproportionately are those of people from those hoods. I don't want disproportionate federal attention on Compton. I don't want disproportionate from the state of California for the city of Compton. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about attention. I'm talking about resources. I'm talking about even resources. Uh, I don't want disproportionate resources yeah. from. I want proportionate resources, not disproportionate resources from the state and from the federal. I I believe that uh some some type of uh as to you know the education the, have you thought much about the, reparations the, the have you thought much about reparations do you think uh that's a thing that should happen could happen yes i have and uh that'll never happen i i don't think they'll ever you know, in, in implementing any sort of reparations. I think, honestly, I think that's probably too far gone. If they would have been to do it, they would have done it. You know, they've done it for uh, for Native Americans, in a sense, for some Native Americans. I don't know. I, I don't even know fully how that works. Hmm. But I know cert certain tribes, you know, have benefited to a certain extent. But don't they even have uh, uh, stipulations that they have to stay on the reservation in order to receive that? Or I'm I don't not know. Sure. I don't know anything about it yeah but you know i think it would be nice but how would they even begin to calculate that and how would they you know what i mean and, i do oh, know man, that you know, uh the jewish people got reparations after the second world war i was not aware of that yeah yeah they paid see? they paid i forget the numbers something like four thousand jewish people Three billion dollars or something like that. I mean, the numbers are out there. In you gotta be kidding me! Yeah, don't yeah. tell me uh, that. I don't. Don't don't quote me on those numbers, but uh, you know, it's some amount of Jewish people they got some amount. I think it was a couple billion dollars. But uh, <laughs> I did the math with with Lance. I did the math. To me, it seemed like that was the equivalent of something like 
$5,000 per black American one time. Uh, he told me that it was actually that somebody else, he like did the math and it actually came out to about $400,000 per black American at a, as a one-time payment. So I don't know, still more, more research to be done there. But, uh, if, if we do call, continue to call for reparations and I'm, I'm lukewarm on this topic. Uh, I'm for reparations at the moment. I'm not going to die on this hill. Uh, but I think something between, sure, something between four and 400000 I think I would call for something like maybe $100,000 for 38 million black Americans over the next 10 years or something like that. Oh, so we would receive $100,000 for the next 10 years? I mean, that's just, no, $10,000 a year for 10 years. Ah, <laughs> dropping a bucket, man. They're going to swallow that money. But, that, but it's that's also nothing, 38 I mean, million people. So that's a, we're talking about trillions yeah. of dollars right there. Yeah, but still, we're talking about uh generational curses man <laughs> you, you you know what i mean you got you have generations of people mentally uh mentally damaged yeah it's terrible Prince now Prince here's 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 why i put up those numbers i'm putting up a number on the scale that seems proportion so at least is in the ballpark of proportionate so it has to be several trillion dollars on the scale um and then it has to be small enough that it might happen, right? So if I said give 38 million black Americans and I'm separating uh, American descendants of slaves from recent African Im immigrants. And so I really like the hashtag ADOS because that describes our group. Um, I'm calling, you know, I feel like if I called for each one of us to get $80,000 a year for the next seven years, then it's just going to fall on deaf ears and it's never going to happen. Uh, if I put up a number that large, that's just how I feel. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I get it. I, I get, I get the number, uh, them not wanting to, you know, pay out, excuse me, pay out a certain number. But what I think needs to be taken into account is you look at, uh, the dysfunction of generations the loss of lives and generations. You telling somebody, I want to give you a hundred thousand dollars for your family's pain. And you know, they've lost their, their brother, sister, mother, grandfather, gun violence, this and that, and this and that, and that, you know, you know what I mean? Like what? That's a joke. Well, I mean, you know it's, I mean? Not it's not going to change. It's, it's not a joke because not, it's, it's, it's not going to, I'm nothing. not going to like, but when they award, it's, the, it's that money. Compared they to kill someone happened. and they have a police fund, they give them ten million dollars. Yeah, no, that's they, uh, like if you kill somebody's, uh, the police kill somebody's family member, and then they give they give them a hundred thousand dollars. They're gonna say, you know, what I mean, the, the, there's no money that amount of value that can replace, can, they can replace their their loved yes. one. Yeah. But to give them a hundred thousand dollars and say, here, it's okay. That's a slap in the face. They know they have to give, and they, well, it's not even have to. They end up giving them to avoid giving them more, but they know that they could potentially end up paying them more than that. You know what I mean? So they yeah. they come finally come with a number that a person can live with. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, in reparations, you would have to at least give us a number that we can live with. Yeah, you know, well, and when I say what live with, you, what what do you think the number? What's the number that you would? You could live like, with. I heard, you look at you look at today's climate with the cost of everything. You know what I mean, inflation and all that. Man, a hundred thousand dollars is nothing. 
what's the, that what's is the nothing. number? Really nothing. I, I mean, personally, I would say, think? you know what? <sighs> 500000 to a mil at least. At what, least to payment? even get people talking. Like, okay, you know, if I stop, that's what I'm saying. They signed because to me, I believe that gives you an opportunity, an opportunity to change the direction of your family, to change the course of your uh your 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 household, you know what I mean? If if used properly, you know, I I mean a, a million, of course, would set you if if used properly, set you on a different course. Five hundred thousand gives you an opportunity. You know, I imagine that there will be some individuals that are just going to squander and be like, whatever. So the number, you know? just just but from perspective, I think for those the number you're who talking really about really take into account is the number you're talking about is at the low end, five hundred thousand dollars for thirty-eight million people is nineteen trillion dollars. That's the one. That's one year equivalent of the uh, United States budget. Do you think that? <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to go for that. I didn't. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, well, let's put it. To, uh, Okay, when we say that, let's put it in perspective. Would the budget exist if we didn't? Would the budget be there if we, if our, if our, if our, uh, if our relatives hadn't bled for this country, hadn't put in all that work in order to build this country up? Would it, would it have the budget that it has? Now, would it be the mind, great superpower? Keep in mind that people will have to approve this number. It's one thing to put this number out there, which hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, a, I'm part of the, the group. I'd get the money. But it's another thing that to expect uh, Congress people and senators to vote for it. I know that's why I said I don't think it'll ever happen because but for one, the number I that I put forward could be in the realm think, of actually happening. But okay, let me ask you this: the reason why I don't think it will ever happen because when you put the numbers up to us, to the people, and do we agree with it? People are not gonna because it's a one-time deal. Once it's done, we can never say anything else about slavery, yep. reparations, or anything. So you think people are going to sell out for that little bit of money? I don't, After I don't all we've been through, we... I don't consider it a sellout. I, I consider it a sellout because it's basically our our pain. This is the value of our 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 history and our pain. This is it. This is what you're telling me we're worth for everything that our family members, everybody, our relatives, our ancestors have gone through up to now what we've gone through, this is what it's worth. We can earn that. We will, we will have earned that amount, if not more, in our working lives, just working a little bit. You know what I mean? Just working probably minimum wage. Minimum wage, we'll earn that much. So we're going to say that this is our value of our ancestors, blood, sweat, and tears. One time little check. I don't I don't take it I don't take it as that because if you if you lock it if you lock the number into a number that we feel adequate adequately represents the value of the horror that our ancestors endured then we'll never come up with a number and we will be eternally locked into a battle for power uh, because the number as it comes down will be a representation of of an exchange and an exchange is a representation of power right if if you have zero power over me if nothing you do can affect me in any way then i will never have to give you anything but if if you can do something that might affect me in some way if you have some sort of power to influence something on my life then when then as we negotiate an exchange i'm going to be more inclined to 
offer up a number and the number will be proportionate to our power relationship uh, as it stands mm-hmm. black americans are something like 14 percent of the voting electorate we tend to vote as a block for democrats uh, but of course when it comes to liberal or conservative leanings we're actually about 50 50 um, that's kind of our power in this country and so i'm not for i'm not for prolonging the conflict between black americans and the rest of Americans. I'm for having reparations be paid and calling an ostensible end to this division between black Americans and the rest of the Amer- rest of America. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all support of it. But honestly, thinking about it, if we were to sign that, it wouldn't make anything better. Then people would still be better. Once that money is spent, you know what's gonna happen. People are gonna be like, "Man, that wasn't. Then there was nothing," and 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 it doesn't change the 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 perspective of you know other individuals in the country who still look at us a certain way. If anything, they'll be scrutinizing even more so. You know, the fact. Oh, well, why do we have to give them this? And and then you know, say, well. They don't deserve it anyway. You know what I mean? Well, so I it's not. I don't think they would have that stance. For what? me, I I, I don't, because uh, slavery was an atrocious thing, and it doesn't take much research to to see how horrible it was. And so, what I think reparations, uh, if they go out, hopefully they can go out in our lifetime. I think they would mark a uh, a close, a beginning to close a chapter. I think they would heal divides against. Uh, the heel divides between black Americans and non-black Americans because I think they would heel divide in that they would offer some sort of monetary recognition that whatever the dollar amount is, it does not equal the magnitude of the horror of slavery. We would all recognize that together and that the loss of life was greater than these few dollars we gave you. Uh, Nobody's saying that they're equal, but what we're saying is this is a recognition of the fact of that horrendous treatment and it is an, it is a good faith attempt to move past it and i think it would be a moment of, of uh, a be, moment of reconciliation uh, not complete uh, reconciliation but at least a step in that direction i i think on the surface that it might uh i think it's a nice sentiment but i think most um most of our people will prefer a an opportunity and i think the amount has to represent an opportunity that's fair you know what i mean if it doesn't opportunity in this country doesn't come for less than what eighty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars at at least you know what i mean so i think that's the, the the biggest point people have to believe that I can do something different now. I have a chance. You know, I can I I have a chance for the American dream or whatever it is their dream is. So now they we're have talking a- about at $100,000 for 38 million Americans, we're talking about 3.8 trillion dollars, which is I think well within the realm of, of possibility. For some that's going to be high, for some that's going to be low, but I think that makes it possible. If the people are willing to accept 100,000. If the people are willing to accept 100,000, yeah. Because, man, I mean, what do you think about our uh, the 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 older generation? You know, do you think that they would uh, agree to 100,000? Who do you think would be the ones to 
rejected the most the younger ones because they're more idealistic i think the older folks would look at the hundred thousand and go this doesn't this isn't going to bring my auntie back who was killed yeah. on a field in front of her kids this is this isn't going to bring my mom back who died from stress in her 60s because she had to raise seven and her husband had been long dead um you know they're going to say this number isn't fair but I'd rather take a number than just keep fighting. Give a number, let's go forward. Whereas the young, they're fight, fight, fight. <laughs> they are fight, 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 fight. Never give up the fight. Fight, fight, fight. And so they're yeah. going to be, give me a million dollars. They're going to keep pushing the number to make it more and more unreasonable to eventually it's obvious that they don't really want a, a conclusion, right? They're just going to keep making the number higher and higher and say, it's got to be higher. Well, actually, you just want to keep fighting. You don't actually want to resolve it. You know what I was thinking about? Um, I was thinking, you know, if I, I could, I could understand, you know, the 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 older generation saying that's not enough, because once you agree to the sum, you know, like I said, if it's not something that you feel is sizable enough to say I agree to in all good in all good conscience, then it's like. You're selling out for a few few dollars. Now let me know? say it this way: what now, money? So I mean, so any any amount that would actually represent the value, or at least come close, or at least approximate the value in our hearts, won't be paid. That that amount of dollars won't be paid. That's several hundreds of trillions or something like that, right? That that or like you said, that's the whole federal the whole federal budget for one year directly to us it, at minimum um that number won't be paid and so i don't even think it's i just don't think we're gonna get that number but in order to have the in order to address the meaningful legacy of slavery which we will address i think that will come through museums i think that will come through film i think that will come through culture that will come through books that will come through speakers and, and legacy uh, that won't happen in a dollar amount and so i'm not tying the I'm not tiring, tying the remembering and the and the learning and the empathizing and the um, integrating of the history of experience of the history of slavery into our experience into the dollar amount. I'm not tying those two things together uh, because the dollar amount can't equal that. What I'm saying is put some numbers down, give us the numbers, let's move it forward, and then we can continue to address slavery through the culture and the legacy like we have been. Yeah, it's, that number is that number is important. How about what if they were willing to propose land with the cash? Um, this day and age, I would take the forty acres. But of course, forty acres, you, I don't know where you're going to go and get forty acres for under a hundred thousand dollars in America. Uh, land is super valuable. So if they want to shoot the 40 acres now, oh. I'll take it. Shoot me 40 acres. Anywhere, yeah. pretty much, as long as it's relatively flat. I don't want the top of a mountain range. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's hey, that's, that's, that's a subject. How often does that subject even get – does that even get discussed anymore? Does anybody even bring that up? They do a lot of they do a lot of uh, kicking the can down the road by saying, 
I'm open to the investigation of reparations. That's that's the phrase. I'm I'm open to look into it. I'm open for looking into it is the phrase they like to use. Oh, I, I'm a big supporter of looking into it. Of course, <laughs> of course you are. I'm a big supporter of looking into reparations. Let's look into it. As long as yeah. we're just looking, right? Let's all look at let's all look all at right. this food together. Let's look let's through this window. Let's dinner. window shop let's, reparations. Go have dinner and talk yeah. about it. Let's yeah. put it on the table. That's what they put say. Put it on the table. That's the popular lobster. phrase. <laughs> oh man yeah that's that's the nature of the beast but i don't know man i i i think it could if if we did agree to uh, a number that everybody could live with then it, it could set set things in motion to change the course of you know many lives because like you said with the universal income universal basic income you know uh bills in the, in the day-to-day uh, expenses add a level of stress to your thought process that uh stifles your creativity you know what i mean or it can it it really does you're focused every day on how am i going to do this how am i going to do this? how am i going to do that you know the the dreams and the aspirations and the goals that you have, you know, they get whittled away till it becomes too basic instinct, survive, you know, pay the bill. I remember at one point in my life, it got, I, I went back down to basic, the essence of who I was. I was just a, a man in a sense, go to work, pay the bills, come home. Mm. I didn't even, I, and though know, this is minus, you know, substances and everything. This was just me surviving. Because it was, you know, I was bombarded with bills mm. and responsibilities. So, you know, not to mention the stress of the job, you know, the, the stuff like that. And then trying to maintain, you know, a family dynamic and everything. Who I was no longer mattered. Mm. It was who I had to be in order to keep this wheel going mm. round. You know what I mean? Mm. So I literally lost myself inside of my day to day. And it was, you know, anything that I thought that I wanted to do or I would like to do, forget about it. I didn't even think about those things anymore. It was just, you know, I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to pay this. I got to pay that. Mm. You know, my kids want to interact with me. I'm, they're talking and I'm spaced out. I'm thinking about what it has to be paid. And, and then I got to go back to work. And, and I imagine that it's like that for a lot of people, yep. you know, and that's, that's rough, man. You you know, life is a gift. Like I keep saying, you know, it's so much that wants to take our life away. You know, so many different things want to take your life away. You know, and and so it's tough when you're giving it away and you see it. You know what I mean? When you know you're giving your life away mm. and, you know, you're doing it to uh, take care of you and your loved ones. I think it's a I think it's a double it's a it's a it's the result of a benefit but it also marks where we need to go. So kind of like when you're climbing a hill, there will come a point at which there will be a lot of hill behind you and you'll have a nicer view, but then you can look up and you can see the top and you can see how much further it is and you go, "Wow, I see how I'm this I see the top so much more clearly now and it's even further than I thought it was." And so the position we're in is that in order to survive as an American, you do not have to 
hunt your own food, build your own houses, keep yourself safe from would-be predators, and hope to survive the winter. That's what survival is for the human species in our current animal form. We, uh, as a matter, as a way of speaking, should be uh, walking around on the plains, building our own huts out of sticks and twigs, and finding our own meat and killing it and watching out for other tribes. That's our natural state without society being as developed as it is. But society being as developed as it is, survival today means find somebody who will buy your attention for some wage that you'll accept and call it a day. <laughs> that's that's your survival, right. uh, which is easier than living than hunting your own animals and then building and farming your own food. But as it turns out, it's not as meaningful. It's not nearly as meaningful. It's it's actually depriving you of meaning and purpose. It feels terrible mm -hmm. i hate selling my attention uh at this point mm -hmm. uh, and so the entrepreneur class they've never lived this way the entrepreneur class have never sold their attention they've been key keyed in on the uh concept of selling your effort or selling your work so you never sell your time uh and that's something that the labor class doesn't know mm -hmm. and the labor class still very much sells their time they go okay i'll sell you 40 hours a week for $80,000 a year and then deal and then deal. Okay. Meanwhile, the company that you're working for, the company that you're selling your time to, they're actually selling train cars. They go, I will sell you one car for $80,000. It doesn't take me to care how, or $8 million. It doesn't matter how long it takes me to make the car. And if I can make them faster, I sell them for the same price because that's how much they're worth. So they're selling their effort. And that's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs put themselves on the market in some form of discrete effort that they can then get better at and do faster and then make more money. So I think what America needs is to help the labor class move more sufficiently uh, and effectively and meaningfully into the entrepreneur class. And that means freeing us from this selling our attention, selling our time for, for money paradigm into a paradigm in which our time is our own. Our time is assumed to be our own. And then we can pursue our own meaning and, f and find it. Uh, and then that, that would give us more of the adventure of life. Then, just like a hunter and a, and a farmer technically have all of their time to themselves, although nature and the season cycles and the day cycles are dictating the way that they have to spend their time more than their quote-unquote free use of time. In our advanced society where food and shelter and electricity uh, are abundant and we have internet connections and we have resource, all these resources, if we are given our full time, who knows what will be? Man, I'm amazed. I look forward to the day to where every American is guaranteed attentional autonomy. Uh, and I think we will flourish in some ways that I even I haven't even predicted. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there will be a, a renaissance in a sense of uh, ideas and, and goods and services and stuff like that. Of people being human, right? Being human isn't about taking your so, numbers you know, that you it, say are meaningless. Uh, you know, and, and I think in in this, uh, I think you know, provided people uh, have the, have the opportunity to to create again, there there will be a a, re, a renaissance in a sense, you know. And I think also right now with with uh, current situation 
it does bring about creativity in people, but you know, I guess it, that's it's, it's it's a creativity that comes from a necessity to survive. You know what I mean? I need to survive. Like you're, the chips are down to where it's like you gotta you, you have to figure out an avenue. Mm. Which sometimes that's you know sometimes the that's that's where you're 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 most alive. Mm. You know what I mean? When you're at the, at the age of death, because you're no longer you're no longer bound by those things that you're no longer afraid anymore. Mm. You know, so in a sense, I think that works. But also too, it's 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 also good to be able to to be able to create. And be able to create freely without, you know, feeling constrained and, and stressed out. And we, this country needs that. Yep. You know, I mean, what are we, what are, how are we generating income now? How is this country making money? Uh, Services? Most of, uh, a lot of our money comes from weapons. We sell a lot of weapons. Right, right. Um, we also sell, also our American companies sell a lot of digital services so we have a lot yeah. of software companies uh, that operate around the world and sell web services right. and things like that now they don't pay they don't pay taxes directly like amazon right amazon doesn't pay any taxes directly but all of the people that work for amazon pay taxes and so mm -hmm. as amazon makes many billions of dollars uh, maybe it's a multi-trillion dollar annual every year. Same with Apple, these huge companies. The, they make the money, but then they pay their employees, and their employees pay, pay payroll taxes. <laughs> hey, man. I respect the hustle. That's the one thing I can say. I don't agree with it, but I respect it. You know what? I used to, and that's where I think if we can get that mentality, things will change. If you can acknowledge your adversary or acknowledge your acknowledge uh, the people in power and what they did to get there, and understand that they're, you know, that they use their intellect, and realize that you have the capabilities of having the same intellect. Mm. Might not you might not choose the same methods. You know what I mean. You might do things differently or whatever. However, it is you know, which has to deal with uh, your value system or whatever, but. Nonetheless, you recognize that you are capable, and 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 we had this conversation too. You know that there are there are being things put in place to keep us from doing that, but also nobody can keep you from from dreaming. I tell you this. From, this reminds me of uh, something that I learned from Jordan Peterson. Um, I didn't learn it directly from him, but it's just an insight I had. So Jordan Peterson has spent a lot of time trying to convince people like him that they have a dark side, that they are capable of evil, and that they, that they need to recognize that and integrate those aspects, those dark aspects of their personality into themselves if they care to be a whole person who's capable of succeeding and standing up in the world. And I think that's not ironic, but whatever you want to call it, the opposite of where we come from. We have to be convinced that we have a pure side. We have to be convinced that we have a good side, a deserving side, and a worthy side. That's their default. <laughs> their default is, I am deserving, I am worthy. And then someone has to come along and say, hey, you're actually a sinner. They go, what? But we have the reverse, right? We have our default is, um, you know, I don't really measure up. They do what they do. I just sit over here. We have to have somebody come along and say, "Hey, you're stronger than you think." You're right. 
You're absolutely right. And Jordan Peterson kind of wow. says both to his in his defense. I really love Jordan Peterson, but uh, the black black Americans today, we have to believe in ourselves and support ourselves uh, as much as we can. We have to do it consciously. Uh, there's nothing wrong if you're a black couple and you're getting married there's nothing wrong with explicitly seeking out black photographers and black cake people and if you're throwing a party find a black caterer uh, you don't have to put right. on twitter that you're doing that you can just do that uh, you don't right. have to get anyone's right. permission right. you don't have to advertise right. you don't have to advertise and that's part of part of our philosophy that i actually try to push against is that a lot of our philosophy i mean this would be a counter example because i do put this on the internet but that's for different reasons but you know, you we we advertise a lot of our positions as, <laughs> yeah, as a default, right? We say, "Oh, we need to get the public's approval of our strategies before we implement them." But that's not the case. We can just implement strategies without telling that's, anyone about it. That's right. I agree. You're absolutely right, and uh, I think that is one of our problems. We talk too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this this isn't an example of of us speaking for black reasons. This is just an example of two people talking, but black conversations can be had and are being had behind closed doors. Yeah, man, you, man, cause you, you're right. You're right. We do advertise a lot. And, and you know what? <laughs> and I'll use this for myself as an example. Uh, I use myself as an example. Um, part of reason why, and, and I, I, I had to reflect on that and I'm, still growing in that but i know part of the reason why i do that or i have done that is because it makes me feel better about myself you know what i mean it makes me it's like i'm projecting i'm, 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 I'm also i'm encouraging myself and i'm also projecting that i'm that i support my people you know what i mean it's like we have to make mm. i have to make it known mm. You know what I mean? It's like we we're, we're real big on uh, claiming, mm. you know, claiming this and this. And so like like the term keeping it real. Mm. I'm just keeping it. You know what I mean? I'm just keeping it real. We have to we have to make those proclamations to give our we have to give ourselves value when we have we already have value. Yep. We like you said uh, to be or not to be. I exist. I'm I, I have value because I'm alive. You know what I mean? I I'm a person. I'm I am able to think. You know, I'm capable of all these things, uh, you know, self-esteem. I, you know, I, I, had, I had self-esteem issues and I'm still growing from that, you know, childhood and all that other stuff. But, <clears throat> but that's, that's, that is a, uh, that is one of the things, man. Let's, let's not have to, you know, go out there and, and, and put it out there. And say, hey, I'm doing this because I'm pro-black or I'm, you know what I mean? Just do it. Just support. If you support somebody, support them. Yeah. You don't have to tell everybody why you're supporting them. Yeah. They don't do, you know, the opposite. I mean, I don't want to say the opposition, but other races, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't really see other races doing that. You know, I'm supporting him because he's white. You know, this is a white photographer. You know what I mean? I'm going to And it's make not, sure. and it's also not seen. It's not, it, you can't use it as an insult. So if you see a Jewish person supporting a Jewish person, you can't accuse them. You can't say, hey, you're only shopping at this this uh, clothing store because it's a Jewish owner. That's not an insult to them. They might go, yeah, I am. He's, yep. my, he's my uncle's cousin. I like, yeah, yep. yes, I am shopping here because yep. he's they, Jewish. They, right? They but for did. us, if you go, you're only supporting him because he's black. It's an insult. It's something that can be lobbed against us. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and that's what they that's how they build their communities. That's how they build, man. I and I was I'm reading in uh the uh old testament and I was reading the 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 rule the laws that that Moses handed down and you know he God specifically tells him how to go about everything, hmm. how they business whether if they give each if, if they uh incur a debt with someone after a certain amount of time they forgive the debt you know what i mean he gave them he gave them pretty much the guidelines to live mm. to live by and in in reading it <clears throat> in reading it it's you see you see this the structure and how uh the 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 fairness of you know the treatment and how it builds the community up Yep. And now, I want to take a moment to say how this is not divisive because it might seem an, a, a, on first glance, it might seem obviously divisive. Oh, oh, if only the Jews supported the Jews and if only the Chinese supported the Chinese and if only the blacks supported the blacks and if only the whites supported the whites, then we'd all just be in our little color silos in, indefinitely fighting. But here's why that's here's why that's not the case. Uh, a Chinese American can explicitly and consciously support Chinese American businesses as long as they aren't going out and sabotaging Japanese American businesses as long as they aren't going out and sabotaging Jewish Jewish businesses that's the power of the free market is as long as the markets as long as the products are presented freely and customers are free to choose if they choose because of cultural allegiance if they choose because of ethnic alignment that's a choice they make and as long as we can all see that right so i would be against let's say i would be against a black company making secret deals with only black companies right if they're playing by some different set of shadow rules i'm against that i'm not for that but i'm for black companies openly making deals along with all the other rules uh even if the com you know the conversations are had behind closed doors i just want to defend that that i'm not i'm not putting up secret cabals even though that that those happen quite a bit what i'm talking about is it's okay to be openly and explicitly pro-black and still support the idea that we're all playing by the same rules my my thing is i spend my money everywhere across the board across the board if i want something it doesn't matter what nationality, what race it is that's providing it. You know what I mean? It, to it, to a certain extent, I'll support certain things that's hurting somebody, somebody else. Hmm. But what I'm saying is, if, if I'm going to buy something, I'm not saying is this a white person who's selling this. Is you know what I mean? It's not about that. But what I, what I also I say is, you know, my community it needs it. It, it, it needs this. They're, they're trying to. If someone, if a black owned business. I'm going to support a, I, I, if I have some resources and they, they have what I need, I'm going to support a black owned business mm. because I know what they're, what they're, what they're battling against. You know what I mean? Mm. I know, I know this it's a, it's a, it's a struggle to survive. You know, it, we're, we're usually the smaller businesses trying to fight against the bigger businesses. You know what I mean? We don't really have the, 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 the size that you know other businesses have so i some i support the community plus the you know the, our communities need those resources to 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 survive and thrive 
You know, I, unfortunately, I've never lived in a, a, a black community that was thriving as far as, you know, all the way around. I've been, you know, in Compton and, in, in, you know, it thrived in certain avenues, but I'm talking about as far as benefiting all the way around, you know, clean parks, clean streets, uh, low violence. You know what I mean? Mm. I haven't I haven't had that experience. So, you know, I want to support the people that I know are at the bottom to help them get up. If it was a if it was a level playing field, then yeah, just let the money flow wherever. But there's people at the bottom that need my dollars more than the person that already is at the top. You know what I mean? So I don't know how that looks, but I want to see the little guy win. And sometimes the little guy isn't a brother. If it's if it's a uh if it's somebody from Asian descent, you know, and I see they're trying to climb up and they and they have a, a product that I support, I'll buy that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really, it's not just black. What up? The point I'm trying to get to is I want to see the little guy win. I want to see the, the little guy be able to compete. That's what it comes down to, you know, and, and a lot of our businesses are the little guys. Yep. You know, we're, we're we're fighting an uphill battle, and part of the and I, part of the reason where I mentioned Antifa earlier was that uh, Antifa they're also open market. I mean, they're anti market. They're anti open market. Uh, they don't they don't believe in the free choice operation and in the commerce, uh, and that's how <clears throat> I would argue that's the path to Black American abundance is through the market system. Uh, the market has done yeah. incredible things. Capital, capitalism is doing incredible things for the world. And I want to participate in that. And I want to participate in it more fully. Man, I, I agree. I agree. Our people, our people are, in, are in the fight. You know, we just need some more fires and we just need to fight harder. Do you know, you know what I mean? Byron and, Allen? And, Do you like Byron Allen? Do you know what he's, what he's been doing? Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't catch what you just said. Byron Allen? Oh, oh, that's a he's the media magnet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been following him, man. It's funny you said his name. What was I watching? Oh, was it Kevin Hart? Somebody inter somebody interviewed him. I, I I've been watching him since man, I was a kid. Oh, really? He had that, that yeah, he had a a late night. Was it Byron? Something. He used to interview he was a people comedian. late at night. And that's where I first saw him when he was like first coming up. You know what I mean? I've been following him for a while. I haven't really been tracking his movements, but he's been around for a long time. I saw, I remember him when he was doing interviews, like year when I was a kid, hmm. you know? So I, I was impressed. I can't remember where I saw, I saw him on somebody's show. They were interviewing him to find out how he got to where he was. And he was giving them some insight. I can't remember what show it was. But I'm sorry, what were you saying about him? I was just asking uh, if you're familiar with him. Because I, I think Hello? he's a good example of of a black person not letting their blackness uh, deter them from participating in, in the capitalist uh, paradigm that we've inherited as best they can. Yep. I agree. I agree, man. I, I, think, uh, I, I think he had a, an idea of what he wanted to do. And he didn't let anything stop him from accomplishing his goal. And that's the attitude you have to have. You know what I mean? You you have to be able to get beyond your 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 circumstances and beyond your, you know, 
you have to you have to get beyond what whatever you think is a setback. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and your determination and your 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 drive and your action has to has to speak for itself. Well, we're we're closing. I think we've closed three hours. Uh, but I want to ask you, just as as going out, what would you say now to to the young guy who happens to hear this podcast, who's uh, 10 years old and he's listening to terrible rap and he's in the hood and he's got some, some weird ideas about things. What would you say to that young man? First thing I would say, speaking from who I am now and what I believe, I would say, first thing, you have to lay a foundation for yourself, which means I would, I would hope he would, uh, have a relationship with God if he doesn't know you know who God is and that and what he's about I would I would I would seek that out because I think your faith is a is a is a foundation what you believe in is a foundation of you know who you become and what you stand for and how you see the world and how you approach the world. And I would also tell him too to educate themselves. I mean, even if you're not necessarily a person of faith or you, you're not willing to believe, I would say to educate yourself. No matter what environment you're in, no matter what you're into, you should have as much information about it. So that way you can make a, a, an informed decision about whether that's for you or not for you. So I would, I would say, you know, read as much as you can. Read as much as you can and challenge yourself. Don't 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 let other people uh, dictate your life for you. You know, you, you be an individual. Like I tell my kids, you know, you have you have to stand alone to be a leader. To be a leader, you have to learn to follow. So I would tell him to seek out those who he, who he who he believes are headed in the direction that he wants to go in. Learn everything about them. Learn what they do, how they do what they do. You know, I, I think you have to and, and, and even more so than anything. Well, for one, you, you have you have to you have to dream. You know, you have to, you have to have the ability to dream, to believe that, you know, you can be more than what you are. You know, don't settle for your, your circumstances, your surroundings. You know, don't let don't let the people around you dictate, you know, what you what you do and how you do it. Um. For me, uh, my, my relationship with God, you know, that's that's what uh, that's what laid the foundation for my life and has given me a, a sense of direction in the storm. Because this, I mean, the, the generation that exists now is bombarded with information from everywhere at all times, you know. So it's it's easy to get swept up headed in one direction or another so you have to have a firm foundation you know what i mean you have to have something something solid to keep you rooted in the midst of you know everything that's going on so my belief in god in my relationship with god it it guides me it's my moral compass because the world will tell you well, somebody in the world will tell you this is right. Somebody in the world will tell you this is right. 
and you constantly have to reevaluate, you know, mm. whether you're making the right decision, whether you're not or whatever. So, you know, what I do is I, 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 I read my word. I pray. I'm constantly readjusting, but I, I, I find myself, uh, evaluating what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And who is it hurting while I'm doing it? You know, and I, I think if the youth would take inventory, personal inventory, a lot more before they go out and do, you know, they probably wouldn't be doing some of the things that they're doing. This music, I would, I would tell the youngster, this music, the stuff that you listen to now, you won't be listening to later on. <laughs> so I tell you, I can, I just say for me, I listened to a little bit of everything at one point. And now, you know, I don't listen to it. I really don't listen to a lot. I, I listen to Christian Christian rap. I listen to certain individuals. I listen to Seven. Um, I, I listen to the message. I put it like that. When I, I want to put labels on things, I, I'll say I listen to the message because I there's quote unquote secular artists that there's a message. There's country music that's a message. You know, there's rock and roll songs that I've heard before. You know that. I love because there's a message, you know what I mean? And, and then what, what the content is. So listen to what you're listening to. And does that align with who you are? You know what I mean? And, and who you are is going to change in time. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think, I, would I don't say know. That, uh, you know, as we age, the respect for human life grows greater and greater. And the more you see how precious life is, it does, man. It does. And don't be afraid to to, to make mistakes in life because we all make mistakes. But learn from them. You know? Ask yourself why you're doing it. What are you doing it for? I think that's beautifully said. Well, I appreciate the time, Cuzzo. I appreciate the effort. Uh, you know I love talking to you. <laughs> man, this is I, just I, one of many conversations that we have and they're pretty much all like this. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you, man. I, I, I thank you for uh, for asking me to, to come on and uh, be a part of your platform, man. Uh, I really the time flew. I I didn't even you know look at the clock. We were so involved in the conversation. These these conversations is something that we're truly passionate about, man. And we both come from you know challenges, and we're doing everything we can to move forward. And it's a blessing. It's truly is a blessing, man. And I hope that this, uh, I hope, I hope this, this cast, uh, is a blessing to somebody out there. And I hope we motivated somebody, you know, or, or gave them some insight into something that they didn't otherwise know about. And I, I'm always, I always love talking to you, man. Like I told you, man, you're very, very smart, very smart dude, man. That's kind words. Very you. smart. And uh, you're very smart. You challenge steel, me. sharpen steel. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm working on it, man. I'm a work in progress, man. But you make me want to work harder. So I thank you for that, man. It's, it's definitely a blessing. And, and I know this podcast is it's gonna be a blessing to anybody that hears it, man. So subscribe to to his channel. <laughs> and, and no, I'm serious, man. I'm telling you, this this guy right here is. He's talking about he's talking about change and he's telling you how to make the change, you know, and he's being about the change. So support it. I support it wholeheartedly, man. And uh, your support means a lot to me. Really, it does. 
I love you, cousin. I look, I look forward to coming on again, you know, whenever we can. And we'll talk about some other things, man. I love you. <laughs> we will. We will. Okay. All right. Give the family my best. Will do. All right, y'all. Peace.